Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologer Gary Lorenzen about the astrology of the AIDS epidemic. Uh, so, hey, Gary, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, this is a topic where I wanted to approach from a, like a couple of different angles here, and on the one side, sort of the broader um, parallels recently that many astrologers have noted between, for example, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 2020 and how that really coincided with the explosion of the COVID epidemic, the COVID-19 epidemic, and astrologers have noted the parallels with um, the emergence of the AIDS epidemic in the early 1980s under a similar Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which only occur about every 40 years, um, and sort of approach it from the perspective of mundane astrology in, in looking at that and some of the parallels, but then also um, there was a more sort of personal dimension to it in terms of the impact on the astrological community. And I know that's something that you've written about um, back in 2013 and 2014. You wrote the um, introduction or the foreword to the first um, published volume of papers from the first queer astrology conference, and you mentioned the huge impact of just the AIDS kind of decimating an entire generation of astrologers that were lost in the 80s and 90s. And then you wrote in 2014 an expanded article on that in the Ascendant Journal, which is the journal for the Association for Young Astrologers. Um, what was the title of that article again? Um, I believe it was the Reflections on uh, a Lost Generation of Gay Astrologers. I think it was something like that. Reflections on yeah. Reflections yeah. on a lost generation of queer astrologers. That's it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I wanted to talk about that from both of those perspectives. And maybe first we can start with that more personal perspective, just about um, what's your what's your background as an astrologer or what's um, your history with the subject? Um, yeah, I was introduced to astrology in college uh, by a professor in college. <clears throat> in a program called the impact of buddhism on the west and um astrology was presented as a buddhist practice um, as we were academically studying stuff and then um i started studying it on my own then but um he had an ad uh, an, an adjunct course that lasted a quarter and it was called astrology and I Ching studies both he was taking uh, two different things. I mean, I Ching is obviously Taoism, not Buddhism, but he was looking at those two things and um, showing their correspondences. And um, he was a friend of Dane Rudyard's. Which, I mean, at the time, I did not know that. Oh, wow. Um, because I didn't know who Dane Rudyard was. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Wait, what year is this? 1972. Okay. So you sort of start learning astrology in 1972, and you were born in 1950? Right. Do you share your birth data? Uh, August 18th, 1950, uh, approximately 9.22, 9.23, somewhere in there. 9.23 p.m., we're not sure exactly. Um, okay. Do you mind if I share the chart? No, not at all. Here's the okay. chart really quickly for the, for the audio listeners. So you have 29 degrees of Aries rising, mm -hmm. and your sun is in Leo at 25 degrees, and your moon is in Scorpio at 6 degrees. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So 1972, your teacher is, knows Dane Rudyard, which is kind of crazy. He's one of the most, the leading astrologers of the 20th century, one of the most influential astrologers. Well, it was uh, Dr. Jose Arguez. 
and I don't know if you know that name, he was the mandala man, right? He did the artwork uh, of mandalas, and he also is the man behind the 1986, um, what did we call that again? The, the convergent, harmonic the, convergence? The harmonic convergence. He was the man behind that. Well, and then that later been got tied into like some of the 2012, like Mayan astrology stuff, I think as Correct. well. And, well, he wrote a book, um, on the interpretation of the Mayan astrology. So got it. Okay. Of the Mayan calendar. So he was the one that got you into astrology? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're active then, or you start studying astrology then, and you actually become active in the astrological community itself, right? Right. Uh I a friend of mine and I started working together um as astrologers in Olympia, Washington. And um, we worked out of a bookstore called The Bookstore. And <laughs> not very nice. Creative, That's a very creative name. I like it. Uh, it's straight, it's straight into the point. Straight to the point. And um, uh, we practiced astrology out of there then for a couple of years. Um, but then I moved to Seattle and um, became involved with the Washington State Association and became president of it. And um, I studied in Seattle, I studied with Mark Robertson and Joanne Wickenberg primarily. And, uh, and then I sort of went off on my own and I became the house astrologer at Beltane Books at 50th and University Way um, in 1970. Oh, when was that? 76, I think. And um, of course, then Megan Albandian and Jeff Green were down the street and um, David and Lucy Pond were at the other end of the street at the Magus near associated with the bookstore called the Magus. So we all knew each other quite well. Um, and Jeff and I used to trade students. My students would go to his class. His would come to mine. I would go sit in his classes. Sometimes he'd come and sit in mine. Um, and I became very good friends with uh, the Nalbandians then. And uh, of course, Laura was just a kid, but um uh it was a, a pretty heady time in in seattle for astrology and um sort of cut my teeth on all of that then primarily i was doing humanistic astrology at the time i wasn't doing mundane particularly although i was i had read rudyard's uh the astrology of america's destiny in which he promotes that um, um rectified version of the sibley chart right okay yeah, and, and that's something you you've eventually gone on to to specialize in mundane astrology, right? And that that was part of actually why I wanted to talk to you about this episode of approaching, you know, this from a mundane perspective as well as from like a personal perspective because you have both of those interests sort of converge in the same place. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then the Nalbandians that you mentioned are the founders of the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is still going to this day, as well as Maggie Nalbandian was the founder of Kepler College. Mm -hmm. And, and she guess, invited me. Yes, I was on the founding. I was founding board member for Kepler College. She called me and said, "Gary, we want to do this. Please come and help us do this." So, uh, right. I, I I was involved with primarily with the curriculum and instructional design development. So. Yeah. So you and we did a whole episode that was the last time you were on the podcast. Actually, it was back in 2017, and episode 75, where you and me and. Laura Nalbandian talked about yeah. the life and work of astrologer Maggie Nalbandian yeah. and 
talked about the formation of Kepler College and how you were responsible in large part for designing the curriculum. Mm -hmm. That's true. And also um, arguing the case in front of the higher ed board and Olympia to get it approved as a BA. Okay. That, that, that was my job too. So that's what I did. Sure. So um, one of the things in your article that I was no I was noting is that in the 1970s, we have the emergence of psychological astrology, that entire generation of astrologers who were born in like the 1940s, the baby boomer generation are really coming of age and psychological and, and humanistic astrology is really starting to take off. Um, and one of the things you noted in the article also is that there's starting to be some movement towards developing um, you know, more progressive or um, sort of like queer-oriented astrologies or ones that are at least um, open and not sort of regressive in terms of their, their treatment of different sexual orientations. But that was just getting started in the 1970s before the, the AIDS crisis hit. Right. And, and truly there were, but it was still kind of uh, under wraps. I mean, I can remember meeting with Tony Joseph um, I don't even know if you know that name, but he was an up-and-coming astrologer in the 1970s and um, really brilliant at what he did. Um, and I really, really liked his work. And I can remember he was in Seattle and um, stayed with me and we went out to dinner. And I realized, okay, he, the way he put it was, are you also puer eternis? Latin for eternal youth, right? And I looked at him kind of funny and I thought, it's by that. And then it suddenly dawned on me, oh, I know what he, it's code. And I said, yes, yes, I am. And he smiled. And um, so then we started talking about how awful the literature was mm -hmm. on, especially in terms of relationships and, and how marginalizing so much of the astrological literature was in regards to gay people and the way it was presented in the literature. But then, you know, you, the literature people at, in the 1970s, what we were reading and studying was all that stuff from the early part of the 1900s and some of it even into the 1800s, right? We didn't right. have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of uh, literature. There wasn't a body of literature that went beyond that too much. Um, a lot of theosophical stuff, right, was in the mix. And so he expressed his frustration at um, how do we overcome that? How do we re-educate people? Uh, right, because the delineation still tended to like pathologize um, homosexuality in different right? ways. Exactly. Um, pathologized and marginalized and, 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 and he was saying it, he was from New York. And he was saying, you know, I have gay clients. I can't tell them these things that I'm learning, you know, when I studied, but this is what it's saying about it. I can't, I can't tell that to a gay client. Cause right. I'm, Cause it'll, it'll tend to frame it um, like being a gay or lesbian in like a negative light or, or exactly. associate with negative aspects or something like that. Right. Exactly. And, and that's when I first started thinking about it myself was like, how do we, how do we depathologize the astrology we're using when we're dealing with um, LGBTQ people? Um, and of course, then in talking to other people, 
going on into the early 80s. One of, one of my good friends, Bruce Hammerslaw, also openly gay, um, we talked about it a lot as well. And, and, and there were other people too. I mean, we just, but again, it was one of those things you get together at a conference and, and you get together in your small little, little group and you share information and concerns. And, and, and it, it didn't go beyond that other than I noticed that some people were starting to write about things. Howard Sassportis, for example. Um, he started writing some psychological stuff that started nudging the astrological community in a new direction when it came to humanistic astrology. Um, same with Mark Robertson. And then Mark Robertson died in 80, I want to say 85, 86. Um, so he wasn't doing anything anymore. And what he initially put out was um, he, he put out a book and I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it dealt with sexuality. And he took a completely different view of sexuality and relationships than any other astrologer I had ever read. And, um, and then I realized that he, he was trying to push things forward as well. So it, it was starting, but then we lost them all. I mean, right. You listed, I think, in your article, at least 14 astrologers that yeah. you knew of who, right. who had died of AIDS between um, the early 1980s and the mid-1990s at the height right. of the AIDS epidemic. That's right. Yeah. So, and part of your point with that is that some of these were actually some of the leading astrologers in the, in the community, but they were yeah. also an entire generation of people that otherwise would have been at the forefront and having some of those discussions and we're starting to in some instances come out even though that they kind of there was still fear and there's still a lot of reluctance to come out at that time because it could have had negative social implications in the astrological community yeah. um but that whole process basically got delayed a generation until eventually you know in 2013 we had the first queer astrology first conference astrology. And I'm so grateful for the younger astrologers who, who saw the need and you know took that bull by the horns and started moving things forward. Because people in my generation, we, there weren't that many of us left, to be honest. I mean, yeah, there are still a few. Um, like Chris Renstrom and I get together and talk, and um, but it's. It's, it's completely different because we just have that big hole in our generation of gay astrologers. Um, when, you when you talk about you're missing at least 14 or 15 important astrologers who actually con were contributing something like Richard Eidemann and Tony Joseph and Bruce Hammerslaw. And, I mean, it just goes on and on that Howard Sassportis. We just, it, it was just very frustrating and it's wonderful that this younger generation has decided to tackle that. And as they say, turned it into a verb, we're going to queer astrology. Um, and I, I, I'm just really grateful that there's a generation that is um, both intellectually open enough to do that and also um, think of it as, a, as a, almost a moral imperative. Right, yeah, I interviewed, um one of the founders of the, the Queer Astrology Conference, Ian Weisler, in episode yeah. 83 of the Astrology Podcast back in 2016. So people can listen to that for more background on just the 
formation of, of some of those first conferences and that's still ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things maybe that's hard to understand, you know, what was it like is that it, the astrological community wasn't necessarily welcoming for um, for gay people in like the 1970s and 80s, right? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, but one of the things about my generation of baby boomer astrologers, um, when we came into astrology, the AFA was pretty much the only show in town. And they were arch conservative culturally. Just that organization was just really tied down. And in 1975, it at, a, at the conference in San Francisco, um, the AFA conference, it, it came to a head where so many of the younger astrologers of my generation who were there sort of rebelled and simply walked away from that and started all these new, these new organizations and associations, everything from NCGR to, you know, I mean, the whole gamut of things that came after that 1975 event in San Francisco. And I think part of it was also some of the gay astrologers there, um, what was being said about that, about homosexuality was almost, well, not almost, it was insulting. And so for me, and I know Tony Joseph was there um, uh, as well, I, and a few others, we, we just rejected it. We just put our hands up and said, you know, none of this stuff, forget it. We're not interested in these people in this point of view in, in doing this kind of astrology. Um, I never went back to an AFA conference again. Okay, so that was a huge generate because they were the only ones organizing conferences up to that point, and it was yeah, the only much. national astrological organization in the U.S., but then all of a sudden, once you have that split in the 70s and 80s, there's other organizations being led by younger astrologers that are doing things, and um, things start shifting and heading in a new direction. All right, that's exactly what happened, and uh, I can remember it was in 1978 that in Seattle, we decided to have, well, actually it was before that, the year before in 77, we decided to have a sort of mini conference and we, and it was just local Northwest astrologers. And it went over so well that Maggie said, I want to do this um, and, and create a regional annual conference. And, and so the first effort to do that was done by the, the WSAA, the Washington State Astrological Association, and they held it at Ocean Shores. And Maggie helped organize that. And out of that experience then in 78, she goes, I want to go beyond the, the region. I want to have a conference here in Seattle that is national and international in scope eventually. And that was her objective. So then I believe it was 84 when the first Norwalk as it took that much time for her to to put things together and figure out how to do it and and uh, and how to do it right um and um yeah so that's norwak was one of those very first regional conferences like that that had sort of a national import um i know there was one in southwest you know the southwestern united states in Colorado, in california and there was another one in the northeast 
There was another one in Southeast with the um, Metropolitan Atlanta group. Um, and they organized one then too. So during the 1980s, these different conferences started popping up regionally around the country and um, sort of leaving the AFA behind in that sense. Right, there's just this huge generational shift um, and NCJR and ESAR were founded and everything else. Um, and then in terms of even like the, the decade that led up to the 80s, it seems like the sort of gay rights movement was starting to gain steam at that point yeah. where you have like, you know, Stonewall happened in what, 1969? June right? 1969, yeah. Yeah, and that was, this isn't a time chart, but I always like note that Uranus ingress, that Uranus had just gone into Libra in that chart as a really like interesting marker for that being a real turning point yeah uranus at zero libra it's hard not, it's hard to um avoid what that meant you know i mean when you when you when i first saw that too back in when i was first starting to do astrology and you're decided to do that uranus at zero libra and went okay there's something there to look at right. um but the timing if you if you want the timing the, the timing is 1 20 a.m is when the very first of the demonstrations or riots in response to the police started. 1.20 a.m. on June 28th? Right. Got it. There it is. So for the audio listeners, that gives us a chart with 20 Aries rising on the ascendant and Uranus is over in the seven whole sign house. It's just set at the descendant, maybe like an hour earlier. It's at zero, three degrees of Libra. So it's like just ingressed into Libra. Um, and then what was this event or what was the significance for those that aren't, don't have any background on it? Um, the Stonewall Inn was um, uh, a, a bar, a gay bar in Greenwich Village. And um, it was it was allowed to stay open because the proprietors actually had to pay the police bribes not to raid the place. Um, but actually what the way it worked was they would pay the police who knows how much i don't have any idea but then the police would have to raid them they would say well we have to raid so we'll call you and tell you when we're coming and um and then there were certain rules that had to be followed once the police were there you know you, um you couldn't be you couldn't be dancing um you couldn't be touching all these weird little rules the police had um, uh, around that. And um, they came that night unannounced, apparently. And people inside were not prepared uh, for a police raid. And they and, and especially the, the drag queens in there responded very negatively. <laughs> and so as they were trying to haul people out and put them in the in the paddy wagon, um, they, those drag queens just rebelled. They just started taking their shoes off and throwing at the police. And then people standing around started throwing things and bricks started being thrown. And then it lasted for three days. Um, so that, and then on July 4th, it followed the gay liberation, gay liberation front was founded in New York city, um, the GLF. And that's the first, um, shall we say, civil rights organization that pushed gay rights. And that was an, uh, 
in the afternoon of July 4th. And I don't, I don't have a time chart for that, but I know it was in the afternoon, early afternoon, something. July 4th of 1969? Yeah. Okay, there we go. Okay, so it looks like um, Mars retrograde. What else is going on in this chart? Uranus still there in early Libra. Um, and Jupiter's coming in for a conjunction pretty soon. It's actually really, it's at 28 Virgo. Yeah, yeah it's going to cross over and conjunct with, conjoin with uh, Uranus as well. Yeah. Yeah. Literally within the next like few weeks, you get that first conjunction in Libra. That's mm -hmm. really striking. Yeah. So then, so this is a decade before and things are picking up steam. And then all of a sudden, it's like you get to the early 1980s and 1981, and this marks the the emergence of the AIDS epidemic. And part of the genesis of this was somebody shared like a news article from the New York Times of their first like publication of it recently on the like 42 year anniversary of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going through, actually, here's the, this was from July 3rd, 1981. Um, where the headline just said, rare cancer seen in 41 homosexuals, outbreak occurs among men in New York and California, eight died inside of two years. Um, doctors in New York and California have diagnosed among homosexual men 41 cases of a rare and often rapidly fatal form of cancer. Eight of the victims died in less than 24 months after diagnosis was made. The cause of the outbreak is unknown. Um, and just uh, a little bit about a month before that was the first official um, notice of this by a, a professional like medical organization um, when on June 5th um, there was a so the CDC puts out their first report where they're noting this and that is really important astrologically yeah. um, to me because that was right on a Saturn station and um, just to draw the parallel in terms of, let me show some charts on the screen. So here's the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn, which we only got one exact hit, and it was right at the beginning of 2020. And I think it was actually right around within a, a day or two of that, the New York Times also published an article about this mysterious um, sickness that was starting to be noted, and it, it was one of their first pieces of coverage of it. Um, but we already know by that time that it's spreading, and within the few months, it's like a worldwide pandemic, and all of the lockdowns had taken place in March and April of 2020. Um, yeah, so, I, just to add something to that, it was in November, um, right around um, Thanksgiving, that I first got wind of something happening in China. And so mm -hmm. I started looking, um, uh, some strange flu again. And so, and I, and I knew the Saturn-Pluto conjunction was coming up very quickly. And I thought, oh, that's not good, right? So, and there were a number of people in the mundane astrology group that I'm, that I'm in who, when I brought it up and they were saying, yeah, I saw that too, let's explore this. And so, um, we were already saying this by um, December 30th is when we just said, oh, this is not going to go well. Uh, and people were predicting uh, um, a pandemic um, um, already by December 30th. Um, but yes, that 
um, mundane astrologers tend to keep their ear to the ground. <laughs> we, we hear these things coming at us and uh, it, we're watching the news all over the world and we're trying to pick up on things. And um, so there were a number of people talking about a coming pandemic already in December. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of the astrologers were all, because everybody just saw all those alignments in Capricorn that just didn't look good of all those yeah, planets, chiefly Saturn, Saturn and Pluto. Mm -hmm. um, previously in, in episode 254, Lisa Scheim and I documented how the French astrologer André Barbeau, who had done a whole study on previous pandemics, um, published a paper way back in 2012, where he predicted a pandemic yeah. in the 2020 through 2021 timeframe due to that Saturn-Pluto alignment, right. and how even other astrologers like um, Richard Tarnas in his book Cosmos and Psyche had, had documented the previous right. alignments so, of Saturn and Pluto with pandemics. Uh -huh. I, mean, I mean, if you look back, I mean, uh, and that's the thing, it was like, we, one reason we thought another pandemic was coming was because of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in, in Leo in, in the late 1940s that coincided with this horrendous polio uh, pandemic that hit all worldwide. Um, 50,000 children were dying a year between 1948 and 1952. Um, so, the, and, and then in- um, There was another polio 1914. One in, yeah. 1914. There was another polio outbreak, but then there was also the massive deaths in World War One, in the beginning of World War One, in that two or three month period, you know, about a million men died. Um, and also there was at the time um, within the military um, on the ground in Europe, there was a flu that swept through. And um, I've read recently, well, not recently, I mean, a few years ago, I read where they, uh, they think that that was actually the originating flu that led to the 1918 pandemic. Um, it, because uh, Americans, after Americans were sent to Europe for the war in 1917, and then um, they, some were infected and they came back at, at Fort Riley, Kansas, and it mutated there to turn into what it did then in 1918. But mm -hmm. a lot of people, uh, a lot of um, things I've read um, suggest that, that the flu probably actually started already in 1914 mm. okay. on the battlefield. Interesting. And the... Um... Here's the, this is from Archetypal Explorer. For those watching the video version, it just shows a graph with the exact Saturn-Pluto hit was in 1914. But when you add a sort of the full orb to that of influence of, especially when they're roughly in the same sign together, yeah. you get a broader time frame that goes out a few years in, in either on either side of that exact conjunction in 1914. Um, and I know one of the polio things, for example, is there was a major polio outbreak in 1916 in New York, and that was when Saturn and Pluto were still conjoined in cancer. Right. Yeah, because the, the, the cancer conjunction took place at two plus cancer. So Saturn and Pluto were in cancer then for the next two years. Right. right. And, and that's one of the things I've learned in mundane astrology is just, even though there's a, the heightened there's a heightened intensity at the exact conjunction 
really, as long as the two planets are in the same sign together, that right. conjunction is still active or operative. Right. Co when, when the two planets are co-present, it doesn't matter whether they're conjunct or not. The minute they ingress, you've got a, a crisis when it comes to these conjunctions. And yeah, it does intensify. It does sort of get to a peak period during the conjunction. But as long as they're, they're co-present in, in the sign, you're going to see that. And even after, I mean, it depends on what happens, you know, because like, for example, the Saturn, uh, Saturn Pluto conjunction of uh, 82 was at the end of Libra. So it bled over that conjunction bled over all, as well into Scorpio, you know, it hit at 27 Libra, but then it, they were conjunct in Scorpio for two years. Right. Yeah. So you end up getting this extended period from like 1981 to 1985 while right. Saturn is in Libra with Pluto and then in Scorpio with Pluto. So you get this chunk of time and here's the graph for that, for the 1980s, for the Saturn Pluto alignment. Um, and just the periods in which it was closer, further away, and how it just sort of stretches that entire first half of that decade. And that yeah. really was, did end up being the period of the emergence and initial like public inkling about AIDS that AIDS, eventually yeah. went into the full-blown awareness of it and attempts to identify and then begin to combat it. Yeah. But so, that didn't happen in the United States actually until 1985 you know at the end of it at the end of that horrendous cycle it, it wasn't until 1985 that reagan even mentioned the word aids and then he only put in 190 million dollars for research uh, he did very little um in response to it and that was um by 1987 the gay community was just outraged beyond belief that the government just essentially was letting you know wanted us to die through neglect i mean that was that's the only conclusion you could come to um it really wasn't until george w bush believe it or not he's the one who put massive amounts of money into aids research that that we now have because of what he did we now have the regimen and the medications that we do have uh like prep all of that came out of the research that started in the early 2000s with um, George Bush. And then he also extended all of that. He just turned it all over to parts of the world like Africa. He saved millions of lives in Africa by doing that. Um, so it's, but in the 1980s at the peak of that Saturn-Pluto conjunction, we got nothing from the United States government. Right. So part of it was there was a perception or sometimes that it was only affecting the gay community and therefore um, the government was slow to react or to especially the, the White House at the time with the Reagan administration wasn't taking active steps. And actually, I even heard like this recording of a press conference where his um, chief of um, what is it like the communicator, uh, his press communicator was just like, um, being really derisive and, and saying like homophobic stuff and, and stuff like yeah. that when a reporter would ask yeah. about what they were doing about it. Yeah, exactly. And they knew better. They knew different. They really did. They, they had data from Africa that showed that it was in Africa, it was primarily among straight people. It was women and children who were dying of AIDS. And uh, so, and they had that information. So that sort of 
pleading ignorance like they did. Oh, well, you know, and then also just saying it's a gay disease. Yeah, I mean, that was that was part and parcel of their anti-gay, anti-LGBT policies in the 1980s. And, and they used the AIDS crisis as a way um, to attack the gay community. Right. So um, you recently published an article on your website, GaryLorenson.com, on your blog titled Planetary Pairs, Planetary Pairs and the Aspects in the Eight Phases of Their Synodic Cycle. Um, and at one point you talk about the Saturn-Pluto alignments and what that combination is about, which might be worth mentioning here, um, just to give some context about like why we're talking about the Saturn-Pluto alignment and why mm -hmm. symbolically that's kind of important. Um, but you say Saturn-Pluto combinations signify transformation of governmental institutions and agencies, extreme political power struggles, epidemics, new statements of intent regarding economics and powers of government and controlling the economy. Historically, this conjunction has been accompanied by large losses of life, such as in 1982 and 2020. Um, what else is relevant? Is there anything else that's relevant to mention here about Saturn-Pluto, since that's kind of the the focus of you know a large part of this discussion about how it ties into the AIDS epidemic? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we, you can just sort of extrapolate on what on that little blurb that I put in there. Mm -hmm. um, it was it, it, that article was already getting extremely long and ended up being 10,000 words long. So I wasn't going to go into extreme depth. I just simply wanted to give people uh, sort of a thumbnail sketch of what Saturn and Pluto and all these different planetary combinations uh, would, would likely affect in, in our world. Um, I mean, think back to the Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter conjunctions in Capricorn, and think about the, the incredible transformations that our institutions, democratic institutions, our economic institutions, our, everything that was touched by the pandemic. Um, and of course it was in Capricorn too. So you, you have basically your governmental infrastructures that were you know, in play. And then the attacks on them, calling it the deep state, and that the deep state is the enemy of the people. That's the nature of the Saturn-Pluto in Capricorn, right? Um, in, it'll come out differently in different signs, right? And in Cancer, it had an awful lot to do with the rise of the second wave of the KKK and extreme nationalism in the United States. Um, <laughs> Of course, it was cancer, right? And our and our institutions then started adopting that, shifting and changing to accommodate that. By the 1920s, it was perfectly okay to be a KKK member, and you could be a politician and you could sit in Congress, and no one. Right. It was just considered normal, like so extreme the, forms of like nationalism as an outgrowth of that. Um, outgrowth of of the Saturn Pluto in Cancer. It, mm -hmm. It's the cancer thing that creates that kind of nationalism in the same way that the Capricorn thing created um, the negative attitude towards government and governmental structures and institutions uh, when Saturn flew the one conjunct there. So yes, now it isn't just epidemics, but it certainly coincides with major epidemics every time we get that conjunction. So. Right, so and then in the 1980s, then it happens in Libra and then Scorpio, and you get this 
major the the focal point ends up being like relationships and sexuality right correct okay and it and it is fascinating that it that um as a result of that and i and i mentioned it to you in a conversation we had previously uh that that completely shifted the way that gay men particularly viewed relationships because for the first time we had to think about long-term relationships as a way to survive that if we could stay um, HIV negative and the only way to do that at the time was one not to have unprotected sex but also to limit our sexual partners and so suddenly there was a, a, a very important shift culturally um, that we began to value those instead of looking for a hookup, we started looking for boyfriends. Instead of looking for, you know, a fun time out on an evening, we started looking to see is and asking, is that person relationship material for me? And that was a huge shift in, in the gay culture at the time. And, and to me, that's the Saturn, Pluto and Libra, right? And like conjunct in Libra. Yeah, for sure. And just a transformation because, you know, it's also just coming up like a little over a decade from like that hippie generation in this late 60s and early 70s and like right. the, the whole free love mm -hmm. sort of generation in general. And then all of a sudden you just hit this this wall with Saturn and Pluto and there's a real existential like fears surrounding, yeah. you know, sex and sexuality. Yeah. And so... Yes, you could say, and some people have argued that it gay people became more conservative because, you know, within within a few years, I mean, like the the human rights campaign started in, also in 1982, in I believe April 14th, 1982. And it didn't take long for them to promote the idea that gay marriage or same-sex marriage was um, something that we wanted to promote and that would be a goal and um, the, the hrc has fought for that ever since and it's kind of hard not to look at that saturn pluto conjunction and Libra and say wow there it is you know that shift in culture and then moving towards uh, this conservative and and i say conservative because it does stabilize um the subculture itself it stabilizes society as a whole to to sanction these these um relationships and actually um give them legal status um and and also in terms of public health you know clearly that uh allowing same-sex couples to get married and have this permanent relationship and have this uh relationship with the government the same way that straight couples do uh, is a phenomenally stabilizing shift in in the way um, the the country handles its relationship to the LGBT community yeah and I always think about that I always remember that because it's actually almost exactly eight years ago now just before the last Venus retrograde in Leo um, when the Supreme Court 
legalized same-sex marriage under that Venus-Jupiter conjunction in late Leo that was very bright and visible in the sky mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. And then Venus went retrograde that summer, and there was this huge uptick, basically, of same-sex marriages. I think I've read stats saying that like all, like 10% or something of all the couples that were married over the next three months were same-sex couples, which is um, amazing. And that, that would have been a really interesting, like that's an interesting Venus retrograde connection at that time. Mm -hmm. It is, isn't um, it? Yeah. Well, it's cool. It's a cool little bit of mundane astrology, but even aside from that or of same-sex marriage, like the, even that aside, um, you know, even the legalization, and it seems like um, the emergence of AIDS put a lot of pressure to accelerate the push to receive um, similar like legal um, rights Mm -hmm. because because all of a sudden it was bringing up things like end of life care and um different things like that that um same-sex couples just didn't have any coverage of none none at all they're not even visitation rights in the hospital you know depending right. on the hospital and the community you're in but generally speaking no i was not sure so it's like it's tricky because on the one hand with the these two topics they're like um separate things like the aids epidemic versus um gay rights but they they've really intersected in this major way in in especially the early 1980s right exactly and that, and that's my point that as horrible and and awful as the as the pandemic was as the AIDS epidemic we say ep epidemic but it was a pandemic it covered the entire world uh, i don't know why they still say aids epidemic and not pandemic but um yes it forced a certain response from the gay community as well, not just from the government. Um, we had to change. It, it was very clear that we had to change if we were going to save our lives. And both in terms of health and, and staying alive, but also in terms of our relationship with the state, with the capital S, the government, that if we were going to make it, if we were going to continue um, becoming a part of the fabric of society, then we were going to have to make some changes and we were going to have to shift and do something more conservative um, and leave the old 1960s and, and 70s behavior behind. Mm. Yeah, I was surprised by um, there were even just like the, the legalization, like that there were still anti-sodomy laws on the books that were you know what you know that's not even not a euphemism but it's like a broad like anti um same-sex uh laws just in general um on the books until 2003 that it wasn't until 2003 that the supreme court finally struck that down nationally and there was an attempt to do that in um 1986 but it was actually upheld surprisingly um which is, is it was because of the way the bowers case was argued in 1986 um okay they took they took a risk in in attacking the the law the sodomy laws quote unquote in a certain way that didn't work that the the supreme court didn't buy the argument but with lawrence v texas in in 2003 they took a very different tack with it and um basically used the the 14th amendment um and the um, assumption of a right to privacy uh, that underlay in the Greenwald decision when it came to contraception, that underlay Roe v. Wade, um, 
and and that's how Lawrence v. Texas was able to argue it, and the Supreme Court had to agree, given the precedent that was there. Um, we'll see how that goes forward because that precedent has been thrown out now. We, this current Supreme Court rejects the 14th Amendment as a basis for privacy um, in overturning Roe in the Dobbs decision. So we don't know where this is going to go. Um, leaves the door open to attack all civil rights. If they're not going to use the 14th Amendment uh, to support civil rights, then I don't know what they use because I, I just, I don't know. But it, um, we can be optimistic because states, if they do leave things to the states, then certain states are, are going to uphold civil rights for all of their citizens. Some won't, but. Right. Um, all right, so let's go back. I wanna start at the very beginning when approaching this from mundane astrology to the very beginning of the AIDS epidemic when it first became, started to become known. And part of our kind of operating procedure here is something, it's a really basic principle that I think most mundane astrologers learn pretty early on about planetary cycles that mm -hmm. usually when there's the conjunction of two outer planets, you see the start of a new era and the foundation of something, but then whatever that is grows and develops during the course of the synodic cycle between those two planets. Right. And especially there are key turning points after the conjunction at the first square, which is the 90 degree point, at the opposition between the two planets, which is the 180 degree point, and then at the waning square, which is the other 90 degree point before the cycle is eventually finished. So Saturn and Pluto are on about a 40 year cycle. So we'll kind of be looking at this from the perspective of starting in the early 1980s and how that conjunction happened at the beginning of the pandemic or, or epidemic or whatever you want to call it, the AIDS epidemic. Um, but then it played out in some pretty interesting ways over the course of the next 40 years to bring us to roughly where we're at basically today. I would, I, would add that it, I would add that it's a developmental thing as well. Mm. It, um, in other words, what, what happens at the conjunction is going to tell you how to interpret that first quarter square. What happens at the first quarter square is going to tell you how to interpret what happens at the opposition it's developmental it if this then that okay? so it refer it refers back to itself exactly because that conjunction um as you pointed out it is it, it's it's a period of time when um new there are new intentions in regarding to the two plants that are put forth there's a, a new plan in place okay or trying to be Put in place and what happens and how it go, how how things develop during that period of time that they are conjunct determines what's going to happen at the square um because really you also have another you have another phase in between you have the the uh, crescent phase 45 degree um before you hit the that turning point in the 90 degree so you have the new statements of intent at the conjunction, then you have resistance, some resistance to those intentions at the 45 degree. And those who support the new intentions really have to mobilize their energy in order to keep that cycle going. Uh, the Saturn, let's say, what we're talking about Saturn, Pluto, 
So when we, when we look at the disease itself, if we wanna say, okay, the AIDS is related to the this, this Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Libra. When, if we look at the 45 degree and look at the time period that that occurred, you're, you would see uh, resistance to doing anything about it, okay? Um, but there was motivation to move beyond that push. The gay community kept pushing. By the square, the gay community was really pushing hard against the government. Um, and they, were, they started gaining some political traction in the body politic to support the cause. And, and so it goes all the way around. Um, uh, so the first quarter square to me represents sort of a crisis in consciousness. The, the full phase is where it finally gets put into uh, the body politic. Everybody's aware and it, and um, depending on what happened at the first quarter square, as long as, you know, let's say the fight for a cure, the fight for um, developing some sort of medical regimen to, to solve it. At the, we got that pretty much at the, at the opposition. Um, at the Saturn, the next Saturn Pluto conjunction in, you know, in 2020, um, uh, of course, then the whole thing shifted by, but by the time we got through the, the first quarter, the last quarter square, we had a regimen of medication that was working for uh, HIV positive people. So um, to me, you have to look at it developmentally that way. Yeah, for sure. That was um, what I was finding as well, that the identification of AIDS basically happened at the conjunction in the 1980s, and, and the, it was brought into greater and greater awareness the closer you got to the exact conjunction, and things started being done about it. Like the seeds were laid for the entire cycle in the first half of the 1980s, right. and then you had an, a really important turning point um, when Saturn went through Aquarius mm -hmm. and squared Pluto, which was um, still in Scorpio in the early 1990s, and there were some, um, well, one of the things that happened, unfortunately, is at that point, um, it got worse with, because at the square, um, it started hitting the high point where um, the majority of like deaths of males of a certain age were AIDS related, basically, and it became the yeah. leading cause of deaths first among men and then later also among women for a period of time mm -hmm. in the early 90s around the time of the first square. Um, but they it also started- also a time, but it was also a time where the scientists and, and pharmaceutical companies were finally putting something out there that did prolong life, right? And uh, even though they didn't have a tremendous amount of money to work with, like the NIH or the CDC, um, the Clinton administration did start putting more money in, in the 90s to keep that going after that square. Right, for sure. Um, I also noticed that really close to, there's also, you know, there are different phases in public awareness, but, um, you know, one of the things that happened in terms of raising public awareness was very close to the Saturn-Pluto square 
um, December 22nd, 1983, the film Philadelphia starring Tom Hanks came out where he was like a, Nin a lawyer. 1993, don't you mean? Yeah, sorry, what did okay. I say, 83? 83, yeah. Oh, sorry, thanks for catching that. So yeah, December 22nd, 1993, um, and it was based on a true story, and it was the first major Hollywood film, at least, on AIDS, um, and it was just very close. I think Saturn and Pluto were within three degrees of each other at that time. Um, also around that time, 1995 through 96, the first protease inhibitor drugs were approved by the FDA, um, which was not long after that. So yeah, like like you said, um, some of the drugs and other things like started being developed that would eventually become um, the sort of AIDS cocktails that we know today that would successfully make it so that it it ceased to be a, a death sentence and started being something that people would still live uh, long and and healthy lives with. Right. Um, so that was at the square, and then um, you know because that was also it became a, a major cause of, of death. But then eventually, um, once some of those drugs were were developed in the um, mid-1990s, actually, let's let's back up because we, we kind of skipped over the first part and I wanted to um, go back to that and then we'll return back to the rest of the cycle because I want to set up just the, the emergence of it. Okay. Um, one of the things that happened that's like really striking is if you pull up a chart for June 5th, 1991, this is roughly when most like timelines like start roughly their chronology of um, AIDS starting to become known basically right. in, in the United States. Um, and one of the things that's really important that I noticed is that Saturn is stationing direct um, on this day in Libra. So it's the first direct station of Saturn since it ingressed into Libra and became co-present in the same sign as Pluto um, just a little bit earlier. So this is kind of the first initial buildup to the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And what you'll see is that on the other side of that station is the first real ramp up to the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So here's an image that just shows where the direct station is in 81. And then after that point, Saturn and Pluto start closing the distance and getting really close. So there's this super helpful timeline um, that's available at hiv.gov. And it has this, um, it's titled The Timeline of HIV and AIDS. So it says for June 5th, it's the timeline literally starts on that day with June 5th. And it says the U.S. Center for Disease Control publishes an article in its mor Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. Um, the article describes cases of a rare lung infection in five young, previously healthy gay men in Los Angeles. Um, Los Angeles immunologist Dr. Michael Gottlieb and other and their colleagues report that all the men have other unusual infections as well, indicating that their immune systems are not working. Two have already died by the time the report is published, and others will die soon after. This edition marks the first official reporting of what will later become known as the AIDS epidemic. Um, so then it goes on on June 5th, and it says the same day that that report is published, a New York dermatologist calls the CDC to report a cluster of cases of a rare and unusually aggressive cancer among gay men in New York and California. Um, like with the others, it's associated with people who have a weakened immune system. 
And then it says June 5th through the 6th, the Associated Press, the Los Angeles Times, and the San Francisco Chronicle report on the CDC article. Within days, the CDC receives reports from around the nation of similar cases of PC, PCP, KS, and other opportunistic infections among gay men. So this is basically, for all intents and purposes, is, is the starting point. Um, and just, you know, seeing that and how close that is to the direct station of Saturn is really notable in terms of just seeing that as the buildup to that conjunction and the initial inkling that this thing is out there, but they don't know, they don't have any idea what it is yet at this point. They're just starting to see these, these patterns and these reports coming in. Yeah. Um, if I remember right, the, the first um, reporting of illness among gay men occurred in early to mid-May. Um, in LA, it was early May. In New York, I believe it was in mid-May um, that gay newspapers were reporting. They not doing a, actually investigative reporting, just saying, hey, something's going on out there. Um, and as those reports then started filtering into the CDC, this becomes um, an issue for the CDC. And then they they put out their report on the 5th and they put their task force together three days later. Got it. Okay. So there was already like prior reporting building up to this and, and other things are feeding into it since that was one of my questions is like Saturn had been in Libra for just a little bit. So I'm sure there was like a build up even to this when it started to become reported in mainstream sources. Right. Um, but I, I do think that this, the station, the Saturn station, that then thereafter Saturn starts moving fairly quickly towards conjunction and within, you know, because the jun a conjunction then occurs on November 7th of 1982. Um, so it's a year and a half or so um, in this build up after the, the stationary direct um, you know, on June 5th of 81. That's important to me. I mean, I think it's, you've obviously made it um, a central piece of your information regarding the, the cycle, the Saturn-Pluto cycle, that once it did go direct, once it went stationary direct, then that's when the government actually started moving for the first time. Um, even though reports had been coming in, it wasn't until the 5th of June that they on the station that they actually started moving. Right. Um, and maybe we should mention just like what it is or explain AIDS briefly and, and at least some of the symptoms and the things that they would have started to see at this point, which is that um, when the person got HIV or what the distinction is even between like HIV and AIDS. Yeah, well, HIV just means that you test positive to the virus, right? Uh, doesn't mean that you are going to get sick. And I know men who tested positive who never came down with AIDS. Um, <clears throat> so it's a, it's two different things. Um, right. But the likelihood of getting uh, of being HIV positive and then developing AIDS is very high, especially in the 1980s, because there was no regimen. Uh, medical regimen to stop it. Um, what I was reading earlier today was that it was that AIDS is like an advanced um, 
level of development of HIV when the immune system has become damaged so heavily that it's unable to fight off other um, types of opportunistic diseases, right? Like various forms of cancer and dementia and, you know, and whatever else that can come with it. Right. Or um, even like, like molds or or things like mm -hmm. that, that previously the body would just be able to fight off easily suddenly are able to grow and just run amok in the body, which really um, causes all sorts of problems and sickness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I, I think they have a good handle on it now, but then they had, we had no idea what was going on and why. Um, we didn't even realize it was a, a retrovirus until 1982. You know, right. That them, was it took them a while to figure that out. So, and, and one of the other things that's, that also comes shows up um, sometimes is Kaposi uh, sarcoma or, or KS. Mm -hmm. um, which is like little, uh, like purple spots or blotches on the skin, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's basically a, a a form of skin cancer. But Kaposi's sarcoma is um, was one of the key symptoms. Uh, even though itself it's it's a disease, it's a key symptom of being HIV positive and having AIDS. Got it. Okay. Um, so let's see. So going back to our chronology. So when Saturn stations direct on June, um, yeah. 5th, 1981, it then starts closing the distance with Pluto and there start being like a number of, of developments, um, during that time that are really crucial, um, and, and different reports that are coming in and different things like that, that are happening over the course of the next several months. Um, one of the important ones early in like 1982 on January 4th, 1982 is um, gay men's health crisis has its first meeting on January 4th, 1982. And this is one of the first, or this is the first American AIDS organization and is volunteer driven. Um, and that's eventually incorporated on June 30th, 1982, but it's, it's kind of important that it's formed already there in early 1982. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they did a masterful job. They really did of uh, all over the country, organizing volunteer, I would call them units, volunteering units, um, to go into hospitals and, and actually, um, help take care of AIDS patients. There was such a, um, a fear of the AIDS patient. I mean, like they were in isolation and you had, you know, just like, almost like COVID at first, um, and so you had these volunteers, even though no one knew what was behind this disease, but they would, they would go in and, and take care of AIDS patients and um, um, do community outreach and, and um, you know, basically hand out real information that you otherwise were not going to get from the media or from the government. It just wasn't going to happen. Not then. Right. That's a really important point, though, and that's an interesting parallel with COVID, which is in the early days, they didn't know anything about it, and they didn't know how it was transmitted. And so then as a result of that, you do have a lot of um, stigma surrounding it, and you have a lot of weird attitudes. And that's one of the things during the course of the 80s that's a huge tension is then, um, you know, different 
especially uh, gay people are being deprived of like basic rights for for very basic things or just people that get developed HIV or AIDS were being deprived of basic rights to do things like later in the 80s one of the um um, legal battles ended up being a, a guy or a young boy that was denied the ability to go to school um, after he got AIDS through a blood transfusion. Yeah, the, I think that's Ryan White. The kid's name yeah. is Ryan White. Yeah. Um, that, unfortunately, that was really common uh, way to react to people with AIDS. So, uh, that unfortunately, that's this is his birth chart. We actually have a time birth chart for Ryan White, and he had to um, have a legal battle to be able to like go to school. Um, but Lisa Schein pointed out to me today, actually, that he had Saturn, he had Aries rising, and Saturn was in the third house in his chart, um, which is kind of interesting because astrologers, especially modern astrology, associate the third house with um, school and, and mm -hmm. like lower forms of education prior to college. And yeah, that, that literally became one of his major struggles was being um, forced out of school and having to initiate a, a legal battle just in order to be able to attend school. Yeah, well, and it is in opposition to Neptune in the ninth. So um, there was a lot of legal confusion around his, his situation. It wasn't yeah. clear at all what was going on, you know, and how and why. Um, it was a travesty that he wasn't allowed to go to school uh, because obviously it's only it's only you only contact it through sort of blood and you know body fluids so that that's a pretty easy thing to avoid um so it it's just one of those really sad stories in the early days of the AIDS epidemic yeah, and Saturn would have been transiting through Sagittarius at the time, around the time of his legal battles. So it was, you know, it's interesting. It was opposing his Saturn in the third, but also going through the house of the ninth house of legal matters. Right. Um, yeah, and he ended up, I think, being successful in challenging that, but ended up, I think, moving to a different part of the, the country in order to go to school. Yeah, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And then, and then, and then he, I think. Um, I can't remember when he died, but it was, I, I, it, I think it was around 1990, early 91, maybe. I, I can't remember. Um, yeah, it was 1990, I believe, is when he died. He died April 8th, 1990. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so in his formal request to be readmitted to school was denied June 30th of 1985, and then he went through all sorts of um, legal battles subsequent to that. Yes. So that's just one one example of one story. But going back to 1981, 1982, we have the foundation of the first organization. Um, by May, there was this whole Mars retrograde. Let me bring up the chart and show that because in the early part of things, it seems like Libra is playing like a major role in the charts. And what we'll see in early 81 is that when Saturn was like inching closer to Pluto by 82, by the time we get into 82, and basically the, the end of the first year of this or the beginning of the second year of, um, of the pandemic is Mars um, went into Libra and then also went retrograde in that sign in that year 
So you ended up with this really extended period of a Mars-Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Um, and that's really interesting because one, you know, traditionally in like ancient astrology, before they had the outer planets, it was Mars-Saturn conjunctions were mm -hmm. the, the alignment that was associated with like um, plagues and pandemics and things like right. that. Um, and it also means that the parallel with this time period in our time, especially once Mars actually caught up to and conjoined Saturn and Pluto in mid-1982, um, that the parallel would be March, April of, of 2020, which is when Mars came up and conjoined Saturn and Pluto in, in Capricorn and Aquarius right there in the very beginning and during the very height of the COVID lockdowns and everything else. Right. So if you sort of pull up a timeline to see what's going on during this period, we get this whole string of stuff where it's fully recognized at this time. So for example, May 11th, the New York Times publishes the first mention of the term, um, quote unquote, gay-related immune deficiency, which some researchers at that point are using to describe the new epidemic. And the term will deepen the public perception that AIDS only affects gay men is what the HIV.org um, timeline says. Um, additionally, May 31st, the Los Angeles Times publishes the first front page story on AIDS in the mainstream press titled Mysterious Fever Now an Epidemic. Um, June 18th, the CDC publishes an article, A Cluster of Kaposi Sarcoma and Pneumonia Among Homosexual Men Residents of Los Angeles and Orange County Communities and it makes the first connection between a potentially sexually transmitted agent and the outbreak of KS and other opportunistic infections among gay men. So what's interesting about this is this story on June 18th is right on um, another Saturn station again. There it is. We see Saturn stationing at 15 Libra mm -hmm. on the same day. And this is like the first time that they're starting to like make this, these connections, at least in some of like the medical and other literature, um, in still trying to figure out what this is and, and how it's happening and what, what's going on. And we're seeing this happen again at another Saturn station where it's going to start closing the distance with Pluto. But now we see Mars there at the same time and it's intensifying and things are getting, getting worse and it's starting to grow exponentially. And that's also mid June is when the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, uh, came out and said that they were going to have, well, they didn't even have a name for the disease at this point, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until July 27th of 1982, uh, the NIH, uh, and they and they scheduled this meeting in mid-June to occur on July 27th, where they were going to hash this out. They, were, um, they had a number of uh, potential candidates for the disease, the, to name the disease, but it uh, ultimately, it became AIDS on July 27th of 1982, sometime yeah. mid-afternoon. So that's crucial. And um, I know Christopher Renstrom at the first Queer Astrology Conference gave a talk on the Saturn return of AIDS, which at the time back during the conference was um, when Saturn had returned to Libra in the early 2010s. Um, but I know he talked about researching this and getting a, a time for that chart of when that that meeting took place um and, and he came they, up with 2 p.m yeah 
2 p.m. Right. Well, I mean, the meeting had started much earlier in the day, but they had broken for lunch and um, they came back. Um, I went looking after I remember that I was there for Chris's lecture and um, I took note of that. Okay, 2 p.m. I want to go check that. So um, they came back from lunch and started the session, the afternoon session at 1.45. So two o'clock seems to be an appropriate time for that, except um, it from everything that I found from 155 until about 235 um, is there was something going on with the name, whether they started at 2 p.m. or 155 p.m. or 2 p.m. It looks like the entire process of the naming piece of that meeting didn't end until a, a little bit after 230. Um, and, and that's what I came up. Now, I couldn't find any specific um, details with it. This is based on commentary um, that I heard that reported um, in news and different places. Um, and the National Institutes of Health ha- actually had a, they put out a journal and I'm, I know it was in there. They didn't give a time, but they did say mid-afternoon, okay? But in in my research, Chris had it right, in my opinion, that about that, that 2 p.m. hour is when uh, when they came up with the name of Abe. Okay, yeah, and people can um, read this article of Christopher's. Uh, it's actually a published book at this point. It's titled uh, Queer Astrology Presentations from the Queer Astrology Conference, San Francisco, July 2013, edited by Ian Weisler and Rhea Wolf. And the title of his article is The Saturn Return of AIDS. And it's a really great um, article where he uses this chart and, and expands on it and talks about its relevance more. Um, but here's the, you know, roughly the alignment. And we can just see that Mars, Saturn, Pluto conjunction pretty close at that point, where Saturn is at 16 Libra, Pluto's at 24 Libra, and Mars is at 26 Libra. Yeah. So AIDS had finally been named at that point. And even earlier, just you know, back to that period when Saturn was stationing, um, on June 27th, a gay activist group in San Francisco published the first pamphlet on safer sex and distributed 16,000 copies at the International Lesbian and Gay Freedom Day Parade. So um, there's starting to be those discussions about like safe sex and and how to deal with this and and a, and a sort of rising raising awareness about how to protect yourself and be safe. Yeah. Um, then on July sixteenth, um, the first report of immunosuppression in patients with hemophilia who have no other known risk factors for AIDS um, comes out, and there's two or three patients that are profiled in the report had already died by the time of publication. So at this time during that summer, when the Mars, Saturn, Pluto conjunctions happening in Libra, they're also basically the medical establishment is starting to realize that it's also affecting hemophilia patients. Um, and they're realizing not only that, but it, that also that it could be sexually transmitted um, all around this, this time. So this is really crucial because they're really starting to figure out and also name what this is around the time of the Mars, Saturn, Pluto conjunction. And that's almost the exact parallel for um, the the March-April timeframe with the COVID pandemic when um, 
Mars, Saturn, and Pluto are lining up in Capricorn and Aquarius at the same time. And they're very quickly figuring out that it's like an airborne, um, you know, illness that's being transmitted through the air. Yeah. That, um, I can remember it so clearly. How is this thing transmitted? You know, we, it was a constant conversation and a concern. Was it airborne? Is it you know, what is it? Is it sexual disease? What is it? Is it? No one knew, you know, in the, um, in the early 1980s, you mean? Yeah, no one knew. In, in 81 and 82, no one knew. Mm -hmm. um, we've, it was in 1982 that I first, it was really after the, the NIH thing and calling it AIDS, when I started, first started reading about how it was transmitted. Um, and first had an understanding of how it was transmitted. And of course, then it, that immediately changed my sexual behavior. Uh, and it also- When was that again? Sorry, can 82. you say that again? 82, 82, okay. Yeah. And- um, And you're in Seattle at this point? Yeah, I was in Seattle. Okay. And, and then the, um, the, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, of course, hits right near my seventh house cusp at the end of Libra um, in 82. <clears throat> and I made the decision that I was going to have to, I mean, friends, I mean, people knew that I was gay, but um, not at, you know, not professionally, not at work and not within the astrological community. Um, so right after that conjunction, and as it moved across, um, as both planets moved into Scorpio, and across my moon and Mars, I started coming out within the astrological community in, in 1983. Um, and also, at, you know, at that time, I was um, teaching high school as well. And I started coming out at work as well. So it, that was a huge push right. for me you, that personally. You wrote in your article that you and your friend made a conscious decision to do that because you thought it was important to raise awareness at that time because of what was going on. Um, that actually happened later. I started, I started coming out, but it, like I said, I, I, I didn't get a, a positive response in the astrological community. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but I didn't shy away from telling people. Um, but it really wasn't until Bruce Hammerslaw in the late eighties. And I, and I think it was, it, it might've been 87, 88, somewhere in there where he actually announced it at Norwalk. If I remember right, it was Norwalk <clears throat> when he stood up and said, I'm HIV positive and I have AIDS. Um, of course, Richard item suicide because he was HIV positive. That really struck home. I think in, and that was also, gosh, I don't remember when that was that the late eighties, I believe, um, that really hit people hard. And, and I think uh, that's when people started finally listening and it, it, being gay within the astrological community was, um, suddenly it, it wasn't such a bad thing and people started listening to us, you know, um, and there looks was some like, empathy. Looks like the date, um, according to Astro Data Bank, was that um, Richard Eidemann made of found out that he had AIDS in June of eighty five, and that he 
um, passed away in February of 1987. Yeah. Okay. So that's right in the thick of it. And you said that because yeah. he was a major psychological astrologer, a very right. influential psychological astrologer. And you and said, you said that brilliant that was teacher, he was a brilliant mm -hmm. astrological teacher too. I mean, that was the, his forte was, he had a tremendous charisma and presence in front of people. And he could, he could teach astrology like no one else, as far as I was concerned back then. Um, and, and so his loss hit the community extremely hard in 87. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of a parallel without naming names, but just in order to convey the enormity of that or what that would be like to contemporary astrologers is just like, you know, pick out your 10 most influential or favorite teachers or astrologers that you know of today that are hugely influential due to their books or their podcasts right. or YouTube channels or what have you. And then just, you know, take three or four of them and say that they're, they, they pass away and they're no longer there all of a sudden to give, to sort of like convey what that would be like and to lose those voices, you know, very suddenly. Yeah. And, and that's really what it was like. It was shocking. And, um, there, there was an emptiness, there was a void. Um, as they started, as, as our gay astrologers started leaving, you know, uh, but I, like I said, I think the Richard Eidemann case was, was the one that really hit home within the community because he was such a standout superstar at the time. And, um, <clears throat> in a way it was sort of like, you know, the, um, the rock Hudson thing and, you know, from in terms of the, the the nation's reaction to Rock Hudson dying, for the astrological community, that Richard Eidemann doing that—I mean, dying like that because he was HIV positive—that just it it was um, a shocking thing. Yeah, um, Rock Hudson. He was like a famous actor, and he was one of the first actors to um, to to come out and be very public that he had uh, that he had AIDS. And, okay. and most of the public didn't know that he was even gay, although anyone in the gay community knew he was gay and had known for decades. And it was not a secret in Hollywood that Rock Hudson was gay. And, uh, and, and we knew who his boyfriends were. I mean, he lived with Randolph Scott for a very long time. Um, so, I mean, it, it, but the public, it, it, it's so funny because you can hide, quote unquote, hide, right out in public and people don't even know what it is they're looking at and that was the case with with rock hudson the public just didn't really understand what they were looking at because he was such a a macho kind of guy you know mm. hyper masculine and extremely handsome and um but that's that was a lesson for the country in terms of you know like the orientation of homosexuality has nothing to do with whether you're a cisgendered person or a, a, a femme person or anything like that. It's just, it, it doesn't signify necessarily. Right. right. So here's his Rock Hudson's chart, because we have a time chart. It's November 17th, 1925 at 1215 AM in Winneka, Illinois. Right. Winnetka. Winnetka. Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, so I didn't necessarily have anything to, to mention, but he, um, made that announcement in 1985. So it's like a few years into it, but that's still very early on. And he was one of the first actors 
like that. So it's like that was both um, surprising to the public, both in that he was coming at it as gay and then also, you know, mentioning saying that he had AIDS at the same time. Um, but that was something that more and more celebrities over the course of the next decade um, were, were pushed to do and, and felt a, a need to do. Um, initially pushed to do, and that had a lot to do with ACT UP. Uh, that um, <clears throat> it became clear to most people in the gay community that silence did equal death. If you were not going to come out, if you were not going to let people know, um, and you're going to hide this, you you're going to end up dying as a result. Um, and you're going to end up killing other people. I mean, it, if you if you're going to keep this to yourself, and there's the shame with it, and there's the whole burden of it, and you're not going to let anybody know, that psychologically just creates bad behavior, and we saw that. And so, um, being silent was not was not an option after 1987. Okay, so it was a matter of pushing people to come out. And, and so they actually created, you know, the National Coming Out Day and, and um, trying, trying to get gay people to come out no matter where they were and take the risk. Um, and it, it was effective uh, because suddenly the whole country realized, oh my gosh, my, you know, my butcher is gay or this guy over here is gay this one over here is a lesbian um my son's teacher is gay or it just became like wow there are gay people everywhere and of course they always have been but circumstances being the way they were you couldn't you couldn't come out not without risking persecution prosecution <laughs> incarceration and even you know, uh, being castrated um, for so many years. Right. The famous, um, like Alan Turing, for example, in the in what the 1950s was a famous example of a gay man who had done a lot to help them break um, the Nazi codes, like German codes during the war effort in World War II. But then afterwards, because he was um, he was found to be a gay man. They ended up like chemically castrating him. Right, exactly. And they were doing that in the United States, going back to the, the first state to do that was the state of Oregon in 1917. Um, they passed uh, this draconian law, the 10 years in prison and um, sterilization, they called it. Okay. However, that was going to be done. By 1923, every single state, all 48 states in the United States, had very similar laws on the books. Uh, and so that, and then also they were, um, the FBI, um, uh, their vice squads infiltrated gay communities all across the country and shut them down and arrested people and closed down businesses. And there used to be, um, prior to 1917, there were gay neighborhoods and gay businesses and they were quite out in the open um here in portland we had my gosh there were three exclusively gay hotels um there were nightclubs and bars and and everything and that all got shut down after 1917 and uh <clears throat> it was like that all the way across the country 
Um, so that's that created the, the closet, the very idea that you're at risk of going to prison for 10 years and being sterilized. You're not coming out. You know, you're not you're not going to live that open life anymore. Right. You actually risk like real um, serious legal and um, like financial and also just like personal danger exactly. um, if you if you do. So there's like a real legitimate fear and re and reason not to or reason to to keep it private. Yeah, exactly. But then that also created the circumstance for something like AIDS to take hold within that insulated community, right? Because they, um, there's, it was very incestuous in so many ways. Everybody had friends with benefits. And um, that became sort of a Petri dish for, for the AIDS virus, you know, for the HIV. Um, because once it hit, then because it was that insulated and you couldn't, you, you didn't move outside of that, not without risking imprisonment and sterilization. So you, you stayed within it. Um, so it was a perfect opportunistic disease to hit that kind of insulated subculture, subgroup within the, within the country. But that was created by the country itself. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to create this horrendous closet and uh, for gay people like they did starting in 1970 right yeah and i mean if you can't even for example in the in the instance you mentioned of the astrologer at one point where he had to use sort of like like code words in order right. to see even see if you you were also gay like he was if you if you can't even you know use open language to talk about no, your orient, orientation then much less be able to talk about, um, you know, um, I don't know, talking about what's going on or practicing safe sex or other things like that. Yeah, uh, it, it it's all part and parcel of the, of the same sort of cultural phenomenon, right? It, once you're once you're closeted and threatened with ten years imprisonment and and sterilization, that has a psychological that takes a psychological toll, right? And you get self -prote protective, and as a result, you had um, gay sort of gay ghettos that developed in American cities all across the country. Um, in Seattle, it was the west side of Capitol Hill. You know, in, um, in Chicago, it was, you know, the, the boys town. Um, Philadelphia, it was the neighborhood. I mean, you had these gay sort of enclaves um, and the only people who lived there were gay men. And that's why the HIV and the AIDS epidemic was able to take hold so quickly and spread so quickly it's because they were in that, those insulated communities and they Got lived it. their lives there. They worked there. They, you know, they socialized there. They lived there. Everything was in there. You don't, you didn't go outside. Um, you beyond, you know, after, before, um, before Stonewall, you simply didn't get out there in public and put yourself out there that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, all right, so let's go back to our chronology. Um, so we mentioned when the name was first established in that private meeting, and that was the, the chart that Christopher Renstrom uses. Mm -hmm. um, then that group, though, eventually, for the first time, uses the name AIDS publicly in a publication on September 24th, 1982. 
um, and this was Mercury had just gone retrograde uh, just five days earlier in Libra conjunct Saturn and Pluto, Saturn at 22 Libra and Pluto at 25. 25. Yeah. Yeah. So it just keeps activating those. Um, if I animate it, actually, if I back it up, you can see that station just four or five days earlier. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Actually, it was right. The moon was like swooped was right there. there. Yeah. So Saturn's within three degrees at this point. And then um, after that, one of the things that's actually really important is September 28th, around this time, as Saturn and Pluto are growing closer together, um, there were two representatives that it says in the chronology joined together to introduce the first legislation to allocate funding for AIDS research, but the re resolution died in committee and Congress will not approve the first dedicated funding for AIDS research and treatment until July of 1983. So this is really important because one of the things I noted that this is near this first attempt at getting funding in Congress happened near the first conjunction of Saturn and Pluto. Um, but what happens is there's a retrograde and that conjunction comes back closer to June. And it's at that point that the funding is actually eventually approved. Um, but it was minimal. I mean, it, it, it was, it didn't do anything to be honest. Um, Congress was acting, but the, the Republicans, they just, the, the amount of money that was asked for, they didn't get, they only got a fraction of it. And some of it, they did get some, right? Uh, the first uh, congressional action to put money into the research, um, but it was woefully um, less than what they they needed to do anything. Right, and to like stem the tide of this thing that was just growing and growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Let's let's see later November time jump here. I just want to make sure my chronology is right. So Saturn goes into Scorpio. So we're still in 82 at this point, but now we're starting to get into 83. So one of the things that happens, and this is near the first conjunction, let me animate the chart to show that. Okay, we see Saturn towards late 82, getting all the way up and then eventually conjoining Pluto here. Looks like on November 7th, November 8th, 1982, we get that exact Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So this becomes the sort of center point um, of everything at that point. Sorry, the November CDC's current trends acquired immune deficiency syndrome precautions for clinical staff and laboratory staff lays out the first set of precautions for clinical and laboratory staff working with people exhibiting signs of AIDS. In December, there's a um, paper published that notes a 20-month-old um, infant who required multiple blood transfusions at birth, who's developed unexplained cellular in immunodeficiency and opportunistic infections. Donor tracing reveals that um, one of the baby's blood donors died of AIDS in August. So with this story and the next one, they basically start realizing that it's infecting infants around this time. Uh, December 7th of 82, reports of AIDS hinting at transmission via pregnancy. There's 22 cases of an unexplained immunodeficiency and opportunistic infections in infants. Um, so this is all around the time of the first conjunction. And then finally in January 7th of 83 now, they report the first cases of AIDS in women. So 
this one's really important on January 7th. Um, and let me pull up the chart for that because I believe this is where there is a station. There it is. So this is one of the first Mercury direct Mercury stations that I noticed where you'll notice that Mercury is moving direct and then it stations retrograde on this day on January 7th, 1983, and Venus comes up and exactly conjoins it. Yeah. So you get this really striking um, alignment. And on the other side, so Venus and Mercury conjoining at two degrees of Aquarius, and they're squaring Saturn at three degrees of Scorpio, which is still very closely conjunct Pluto at 29 degrees of Libra. Um, so what happens at this point is um, the first reported cases of AIDS in women are published basically by the CDC in January 7th, and they start realizing that this is not something that's just restricted to, to gay men, or but they instead, right around the same time, they're basically realizing that it's affecting people with blood transfusions as well as was women as well. Yeah. The yeah, it's the right around the time of the conjunction is when they finally realized that it was um uh, essentially bloodborne and and body fluid uh that's where the transmission occurred so anyone was at risk and um male female child it, it doesn't matter adult it doesn't matter uh anyone can be exposed to this and come down with hiv and aids um it wasn't just a gay disease. And that's what it goes back to my, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that it hit the gay community first and, and exploded there because we were an insulated group, right? And, and um, our sexual behavior centered within that community. Like I said, we, we all had friends with benefits that, that helped it spread. But now, and because they were only looking at that and they weren't looking outside of those communities, they were missing a very important piece until we get really close to it, like in, in November, we get really close in that conjunction, but you get the exact conjunction on the seventh. And then we are seeing, oh, wait a minute, we've got infants, we've got little babies being born that are HIV positive. How is that? How does that happen? And then we find out in January that, it, in fact, well, women are also um, HIV positive. So then that changes. That changes everything. It changes every, everybody's perspective. Um, it, it, within the medical community, at least. I mean, it still took American society many years to get over the prejudice of, um, of AIDS and HIV being a gay disease. It, it, it took a lot more time and a, many more deaths of women and children <clears throat> for American society to understand, wow, it's not a gay disease. Yeah, there's something really important that happened around this time that I think is really illustrative for astrologers, which is um, it really made me think of this exact conjunction. And when it started around the time of the exact conjunctions between Saturn and Pluto, um, it came into sight with the public, like what this actually was and what they were dealing with, um, because it reminded me how in ancient astrology, the term aspect originally meant 
to see something and it had to do with um optical ancient optical theories about when something was directly in front of your line of vision and you were looking right at it that's what an exact aspect is like but when something's just off to the side or just sort of in your peripheral vision that's what an aspect that's not fully in, that's just barely an orb or is like a sign-based aspect is right. like is something that's in your peripheral vision but you're not you don't have your exact focus on that exact thing but one of the things we kind of see with this is that as soon as that aspect between Saturn and Pluto once they come into the same sign and it started becoming an orb in 1981 you start getting the first inklings where like humanity collectively starts to see this in their peripheral vision but it's not until around the time of the exact conjunctions in 82 and 83 that it's fully recognized um with clarity what this is and um how to start dealing with it yeah. there's something really really interesting there that, that's really illustrative i think for astrologers about how aspects work uh, uh, yes um particularly when we're dealing with mundane social events like mm -hmm. this and i mean i hate that word mundane because it's you know it means worldly but it has this other connotation of being boring and not interesting um but the reality is that any disease, any pandemic is actually uh, um, a crisis, an event within the world, okay, and that people have to deal with. And so the aspect that is two planets seeing each other, or even we as people looking out at the two planets and seeing them in, in an exact relationship, mathematical relationship, um, does, I think, I agree with you 100%, it does um, expand our awareness about what's going on with those two planets, even if we aren't, uh, uh, you know, savvy to or privy to astrology and what those planets supposedly mean, we see it in our everyday lives and the way it works. And so, yes, the the science was proving that this was not a gay disease, and and that becomes clear um, with the conjunction and and the time very. In, in the year following the exact conjunction uh, yeah let's let's actually get to that now but that that's just crazy to me or that's so fascinating to me that it has to do with awareness that like human humanity's awareness of something comes into focus at this time of something yeah. really bad that's like killing a lot of people but it's not even and and there's increasing levels of people dying but it seems like what it's describing what the alignment is describing at that time is also both that the pandemic is being fully unleashed, but also that we're becoming aware of it and it's being named in some some sense. Right, it's being named and uh, understood, beginning to be understood. Uh, right, and and so when we watch then after the conjunction, um, as Saturn moves forward and goes into these relationships, you know, for uh, these uh, let's say aspects as it moves forward, aspects to pluto and also aspects to the to the degree of the conjunction that we start seeing um that awareness increase it, there's yeah. always more and more awareness as saturn was further away from pluto right so here's january that we were just talking about of 83 so saturn's at three scorpio pluto's at 29 libra and i'm gonna move the chart forward in time and eventually we see Saturn station retrograde in Scorpio around February 12th and then it starts moving backwards towards Pluto again over the next several months 
eventually uh, making a retrograde ingress back into Libra um, here around May of, of 1983. So May of 1983, and then eventually we see Saturn slow down and it stations within one degree of Pluto um, on this date, about July 1st, 1983. So this is the second time that they'll get the closest they'll, they'll ever get to an exact aspect on July 1st of 1983. So aside from that conjunction in late, the exact conjunction in late 82, this is the other closest conjunction that Saturn and Pluto will ever ever have, um, at least in that cycle of of the Saturn-Pluto conjunctions. And this really interesting string of events happens around that time. So one of them is that in May, um, two men living with AIDS publish a booklet on safer sex titled How to Have Sex in an Epidemic, One Approach. Um, and it advocates condom use for gay men and focuses on self-empowerment for those living with AIDS. Then around this time on May 18th, the U.S. Congress passes the first bill that includes funding specifically targeted for AIDS research and treatment, which is only $12 million for agencies within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which is just pitifully low, but that it is the first yeah. time that the government starts like allocating funds. Yeah, and and that's what I'm saying. It's like when that happened, everybody in the gay community said, are you kidding? This? Right. That's a joke. Come on, we're dying here. And you right. put $12 million into it? It was obscene. <laughs> yeah, because what it ends up needing later in time is just like billions and billions of dollars in order to fund the research and the drugs and the other things that would eventually lead to progress in fighting this. But yeah. This was just like a drop in the bucket at the beginning. Yeah. So that happens um, next on May 20th. Um, there's a, a researcher, um, Dr. Francois Barr, and her colleague at the Pasteur Institute in France okay. report the discovery of a retrovirus that could be the cause of AIDS. In 2008, she'll share the Nobel Prize in medicine for this discovery with her colleague, Dr. Yeah. Luc Montaigne. So this is when they discovered that it was a retrovirus. Virus was around the time of the second conjunction, basically. Yep. In 83. So they, mm -hmm. Yeah, in 83. So they discover what it is. Then on May 25th, the New York Times publishes the first front page story on AIDS um, with the title, Health Chief Calls AIDS Battle Number One Priority. This article reports on the federal responses to the growing AIDS epidemic. By that time it's published, 1,450 cases of AIDS have been reported and 558 of those individuals have died. Um, this report's actually really interesting and important because on May 25th, the day this came out, um, Mercury actually stationed direct. So it's like the New York Times finally does a cover story on this and again it, it it's this weird thing that has to do with awareness but it's like mercury stations direct on that day in taurus and you know finally on the new york times one of the epicenters for what's happening um there's a front page report on it yeah all right so other things that are happening during that time the other one i wanted to mention is july 4th 1983 and this is you know, just three days after that Saturn station mm -hmm. um, 
within a degree of Pluto is the first Time Magazine cover about AIDS. And Time Magazine was one of the biggest um, magazines, like print magazines at the time. So this is pretty huge, having it cover it with a front page story. Yeah, I, um, I remember that. Um, July 4th and July 5th of 1983 were also, and I remember it because it was a very important time for me personally. Um, and, the, and when that came out on the cover of Time Magazine, it was like, okay, now people, hopefully people are gonna start paying attention. I mean, real attention. And, and, and there was a hope, I know I talked to other gay men at the time and, and there was a hope that, um, that this would create the awareness needed <clears throat> in Congress particularly to get real funding. Of course, that did not happen, but that was the hope, and that was what we were all focused on at the time. But that's when I'm July fifth is July fourth. Yeah, July. I remember I said I was changing my behavior, and um, so the first sort of real long-term boyfriend happened on July fifth of nineteen eighty-three for me. Of course, like I said, my 28, 29 degrees of Libra is my seventh house cusp. And so that conjunction, Saturn Pluto conjunction moving across that <clears throat> changed everything and changed well, you, that That's wild. And that was your first boyfriend and it was happening in your seventh, at least your seventh whole sign house. Right. So your Aries rising. So yeah, and that Saturn station was right there in your seventh. So that's pretty, so yeah, you have very then striking or not just striking, but vivid memories of that exact time period. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Wow. Okay. So center of stationing. And so there was a real hope that it was finally starting to like get out there in the mainstream press and that, that somebody would start doing something yeah. about it. Yeah. That was, that was the hope. Of course, we were very disappointed. <laughs> it didn't yeah. really happen that way on uh it didn't happen that way at all um so one more well thing. we did get yeah go ahead just one more thing a month later on august 8th 1983 um bobby campbell and bobby hillard appeared on the cover of new week newsweek story which was titled gay america sex politics and the impact of aids where the first time two gay men were shown embracing on the cover of a mainstream national magazine um also happened basically just a month later around that time so yeah. there's this continued like interlinking of of these of these things yeah and and to be honest there was also a feeling that um because we were being identified as gay america we weren't being hidden anymore by the mainstream media um it was like everybody would i mean it was like coming out so to speak to have that on the front cover it was like saying well America is going to start seeing this. And um, it became important. And that's why I, I was saying I, it was around that time, sort of meeting my first real, real relationship boyfriend and having all of this come out uh, right at, as we were dealing with AIDS, right? We were dealing with this horrendous epidemic that we knew was going to get only get going to get worse and um and yet there was this optimism that we are finally visible 
that we, we don't have to be in the closet anymore. It's on Newsweek, you know, right on the cover of Newsweek. Um, it psychologically, it was very uplifting. Wow, I just realized something. Well, two things. One, so I'm looking at the chart for that Newsweek cover, August 8th, 1983. Here's the chart. Um, and, and one, it's just so striking, the cover story and the way it's titled. It's Gay America, Sex, Politics, and the Impact of AIDS, and just the interlinking of those two things. And we just see the, um, you know, the focal point being that Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the sign of Libra, um, and just the intertwining of, like, relationships and sexual orientation, but also in the midst of this, this really terrible epidemic that's focused on or has put the focus on on the gay community or is, is affecting it heavily at that time. Um, but something I just noticed is Venus is retrograde in Virgo right here. It, this is in 1983, and it just stationed retrograde at the beginning of August, on August 2nd, 1983, but then it would retrograde this was the this was part of the series when Venus was still starting its retrograde in Virgo, but then falling back into Libra. So it would eventually into Leo. Yeah. Or, sorry, yeah, in into Leo. Thank you. Um, so it would station direct in Leo um September 16th of 1983. That means this was the same Venus retrograde, the the same series that occurs in eight-year increments that would later um, the Venus retrograde that would happen that summer that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the summer of 2015, when Venus went retrograde in Virgo mm -hmm. and Leo, um, the, the summer that same-sex marriage was legalized. Right. So it's the same Venus retrograde. That's incredible. I never had made that connection by going back that far to that first Newsweek cover to, to see that it was it went back that like... Um, basically like gay rights were, were tied into that Venus retrograde for even longer than I realized. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember seeing that, but it kind of just went out of my mind until you just brought it back. And, it, and suddenly, yeah, that's absolutely right. Because I was watching carefully in, um, the Supreme Court arguments and all that sort of thing in 2015 related to same sex marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I know, and I noted that the, um, you know, the, the Venus retrograde in Virgo, going back into into Leo. But I didn't at the time. I didn't until just now. I didn't make that connection either to yeah to the other one. The yeah, well, it's, it's not like something you would immediately assume would be connected with that inherently in some way, or it doesn't like stand out. It's only by paying attention to the events that it coincides with in those eight-year intervals that you realize there's like a, a pattern or a connection of some sort. Right. Um, and well, and Sometimes that's it takes a, little, takes a little step back and, and some historical perspective to see it, you know, You're right in the middle of it, you don't think back that far. Yeah. Well, then that's kind of the issue with all of these things is that sometimes things happen. You'll see an astrological thing happening at the time, but you don't fully understand what it's correlating with or what the importance is at the time. And it's only later by looking back in retrospect, once you have a broader view that yeah. you fully understand the significance of all those alignments at the time. Yeah. And, and realizing that they are part of larger cycles, not just the alignments, right? That right. there is a cyclical pattern to all of these things. And uh, that is, um, 
it's brilliant that you were able to just see that right now because like i said i had not noticed it even though i was watching all of that very carefully at the time and wrote about it i missed that <laughs> it was the same venus retrograde pattern yeah well it's something that's happening this summer and i keep i keep thinking about it. i've been puzzling about it a lot lately because i was curious in what way since I knew this same-sex Supreme Court decision happened in 2015 under that Venus retrograde, how that would come up again this summer. And it just seemed like it was weird because it seemed like it has been coming up again recently, but in a reversal sense where there's been more um, pushback against LGBT things recently, like with the recent Supreme Court decision about like the, the website thing and other things like that, so that there was a connection, but it's been this weird um connection that's not necessarily positive in this instance right I, I would agree with you yeah that's true yeah there's another pattern um that's involved here and this and i i mentioned it to you in the document um that you had me edit and and that is this does deal with sexual orientation generally and and pretty much that is the the larger umbrella conceptual umbrella that we're dealing with here when we're talking about in this case the AIDS epidemic. But ultimately, this falls under this umbrella of sexual orientation. And um, if we go back to the first time the word homosexual was coined and actually used, which was on the evening of May sixth of 1868 that to me is the beginning of the modern con uh, concept of sexual orientation um and it happened to be there was a full moon that night at 16 degrees of scorpio opposing pluto at 15 degrees of taurus now i don't know if you've been watching but a lot of these charts you're putting up have the 15 degrees of the have the the mid degrees of fixed signs whether leo aquarius or taurus and scorpio they fit right in there and, and the sun pluto conjunction in 1868 on that evening um, um opposing the moon is um something that repeats constantly over and over in uh, these uh, charts that uh, deal specifically with um, homosexuality. What was the and date on that again? Canny. Um, uh, May 6, 1868. Um, and there's a full moon in Scorpio that night at seven. Now, um, Gethany was writing from Hanover, Germany. So um, that would be, you know, and it was local mean time um but um there it is yeah so it's a full moon at 15 16 scorpio opposite the sun at 16 taurus which is con conjunct pluto at 15 taurus yeah um and the uh, but it also had um it, the actual full moon had had um uh 15 degrees scorpio rising and well so it was mm. right on the horizon the, the full moon was right on the horizon oh wow okay later that evening right and that's when Ketman was writing his letter to Carl Ulrichs um explaining why he didn't like Ulrichs formulation of a Uranian to identify uh, a gay man and he said it, we should be calling um same-sex couples homosexuals homosexuality as opposed to heterosexuality so that's the first modern conception and we've used that term ever since mm. okay 
So uh, that's the first modern conceptualization of, um, uh, of sexual orientation, the very idea that there is even a sexual orientation. That's the first time it's actually put into words. Uh, and that, if you watch that chart over time, it's really quite stunning. Um, transits to it as well as even progressing it. Um, to you give me the data again, because um, I had it just set for Washington, D.C., but let me oh, get... yeah. Let me, uh, let me see if I can pull it up. Okay. Let me see if I got it here. What was the, like, the city? Uh, Hanover, Germany. Let's see. So, yeah, if, I mean, if I cast it for, like, 7 p.m., you get the moon on the ascendant. The full moon's almost exact at like 16 Scorpio. So yeah, it's um, 7.16 p.m. local mean time in Hanover. Okay. And it's got 14 Scorpio on the ascendant, 15 Pluto at 15 Taurus, Sun at 16 Taurus. Um, uh, and that, I, I fall back on that chart a lot to, um, and, and watch it, how it works. Mm. Um, and, and you will find, I mean, all of the decisions, Lawrence v. Texas, um, the um, Obergefell case uh, with same-sex marriage, uh, there's this incredible pattern of consistent pattern, mid-fixed degrees um, that are really important in, in, in these issues that relate to sexuality. <clears throat> okay. Got it. Yeah, I was just looking at that station um, for that New York Times article, but the direct station was at 16 Taurus. Um, yeah, it's fascinating that the, how that works. Right. And that was when the New York Times published its first front page story on, on AIDS, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, that's really cool. All right, so we're back and I want to follow up on the the Venus retrograde thing, because I actually take that back, because I don't think, I was thinking about that more, and we talked about it on the last forecast about this Venus retrograde, and I said earlier, just a little bit ago, that I didn't understand why this Venus retrograde, this particular one, would be tied in with um, like same-sex marriage or other things like that, and I actually do think it makes sense in a way, and we talked about this in the last forecast, because it's a Venus retrograde in Leo, and one of the things that Leo is really good at from a psychological perspective is like being authentic to yourself and like self-authenticity and like being who you are. And I think there may be something about that if it's not just tied in with um, the synodic cycle itself through a series of repetitions um, independent of the signs of the zodiac. If it is tied in with the signs of the zodiac, perhaps it's due to that connection with Leo and something about self-authenticity which really is a lot about what what coming out is. It's the the right. ability to be authentic publicly with the world rather than just privately to yourself. Right, and I I would agree. I think um, the uh, especially Venus and Leo, um, because it, there is uh, there is an uh, um, evaluation of that authenticity and that that um, self promotion. Um, so that would make sense to me, yeah. Sure, yeah, um, maybe that could be it. But 
this might be a good reason for other people to go back and I'm sure research this Venus synonic cycle because I'm sure there's other ones that were overlooking like earlier in that series that could be really interesting. Um, so if anybody finds any other ones, I hope they'll let us know in the comments. Okay, so back to the chronology. Um, so later in November of 1983, um, let me see where Saturn and Pluto are just to get, because we start get going from this point, um, we're pretty soon heading into the full Saturn and Scorpio and eventually Pluto and Scorpio territory. Um, where Saturn departs from Libra and moves into Scorpio um, in August and September of 1983. And eventually Pluto follows suit and also moves into Scorpio in November of 1983. So at this point, uh, November 22nd through the 25th, 1983, the World Health Organization convenes the first meeting to assess the worldwide AIDS situation and to encourage collaboration between different affected countries. Um, so this is pretty important where it starts becoming um, a global issue that like the world is starting to pay attention to instead of just an issue that the U.S. is, is paying attention to. Um, I would say yes. The United States had a problem. Uh, they they really weren't even cooperating with the French all that much, right? Even with what we brought up earlier uh, regarding the retrovirus discovery in France, um, there was still a lot of controversy over that. Here, there were a lot of medical people who were saying, "No, it's not a retrovirus. No, it's not this." No, it's not that. Um, so for the World Health Organization to actually come together and and um, create a situation where countries are going to cooperate with each other, knowing that this was going to be a global pandemic, uh, was extremely important, I think. And it sort of pushes the United States in the right direction. Um, because obviously they're members of the World Health Organization and you know the United States is and <clears throat> the US had a presence there as well. So um, the political situation in the United States just dragged its feet so much um, in spite of what the medical community was doing and trying to do. Um, yeah, it was extremely important to have that WHO gathering uh but it didn't translate into political action in the united states on the part of the government um and it, it, the medical community the cdc the nih all of those agencies were um were working hard on it uh as hard as they could with the limited resources they had and of course they are in fact funded by the political machinery. Um, and unlike the rest of the world, like uh, in, in places like France, particularly, the government got behind that research very quickly. And, and initially, a lot of the real progress that was being made was coming out of France. So having this World Health Organization come together and, and 
indicate that there, wanted, there was a need uh, for global cooperation in response, um, I think was really helpful for the US politicians to hear. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, just looking at 1984, the big thing in 1984 was April 23rd, um, the US Department of Health and Human Services secretary announces that um, Dr. Robert Gallo and his colleagues at the National Institute have found the cause of AIDS, which is a retrovirus that they've labeled HTLV3. Um, they also announced the development of a diagnostic blood test to identify it and to express and express hope for a vaccine against AIDS at some point, which they say was in the next two years they were hoping, but um, obviously did not play out that way. No, there's still no vaccine. Even after all these years, they've never been able to come up with a vaccine. Uh, right. There is a medical regimen, um, you know, pharmaceutical regimen that... Um, can render you uh, basically HIV negative. Even if you are positive, you aren't going to show it. You're you're not going to show. Uh, you can't transmit the disease because it's not evident. Okay, but it's not actually a vaccine. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. So moving, we we eventually get into like eighty five. Um, March of 85, the FDA approves a test as the first commercially available test for detecting HIV in blood, and blood banks begin screening after this, um, which is pretty a pretty crucial uh, step in terms of all of this and in terms of identifying things. Right, okay, so Saturn's at late, late Scorpio. We're dealing with the, the tail end of Saturn and Scorpio and Pluto at the beginning of Scorpio. Um, so this period is the final period of like fully defining what this is and identifying it and laying the foundation for a lot of the work that's done later. Um, not long after that in 85, Larry Kramer's play, The Normal Heart um, premieres and is really successful. Um, I believe, are you familiar with his work? Yeah, I actually just saw the film version of it last week. <laughs> okay. Again, I had, I had seen it a number of times before, but I watched it, uh, no, two weeks ago. Got it. So, um, so focuses on the ride, the rise of HIV and AIDS in New York between 1981 and 1984. And then in November of 85, an early frost, the first TV movie dealing with AIDS and gay relationships was broadcast. Um, so that's pretty cool. Crucial, um, in June of 85, we have Ryan White's formal request to be readmitted to school, which is denied, um, that we talked about earlier. And also that summer, Rock Hudson um, is the first major public figure who announces that he has AIDS. Right, and he went to, he went to France for treatment. Um, for whatever reason, um, at that point in time, I think most people believed that the French were further along than we were in treating the disease. And so they put him on a plane and he went to, he went to France for treatment. Okay, so this is in July and this is the tail end of Saturn and Scorpio. And then this kind of important event eventually happens, starts happening right at the very tail end before Saturn departs from Scorpio, which is 
Um, September 17th, 1985, Reagan finally mentions AIDS publicly in a press conference and calls it a top priority and defends his administration's response. And then shortly after that, on October 2nd, 1985, Congress allocates nearly $190 million for AIDS research. Um, yeah, and these two things happen basically right before Saturn leaves Scorpio in mid-November of 85. Yeah. And that so, was that was the like I said that that was the first time that we heard from the Reagan administration. Right, it, he'd never once mentioned it in four years, and uh, so we heard it for the first time, and we heard it, and everybody was, of course, extremely happy. He was putting 190 million. That's still a drop in the bucket compared to what other countries were putting in, but it was um, it, it was an important step forward. Yeah, so that he, they finally, because that's just, this is four years into it at this point, and now the, you know, head of the government is finally mentioning it at least and starting to allocate funds. One of the shifts that happens in late 85 is that Saturn goes into Sagittarius, and one of the things that I thought was notable is that um, by the end of the year, by December 19th, the United Nations states that at least one HIV case has been reported from each region of the world. So it's like Saturn is now in Sagittarius and the epidemic is fully international at this point. Right. And, and also at this point, it seems like over the next few years during the course of Saturn and Sagittarius, a lot of um, international efforts surrounding AIDS really ramp up at this time. Yeah, they do. But it also, um, the death toll mounts internationally. I mean, it, yes, initially it was just in the United States and then it was in Europe and then it hit Africa and and Asia, and it really once Saturn went to Sagittarius, then the death toll really started mounting in globally, and then because there was still no treatment for it. Right. So I found some different graphs, but here's one of them, for example, that just shows the numbers in the early 1980s and just how it it just shoots up. Right. At different different points um and here's another graph but this one starts in 1990 but it gives you some idea at least of the number of deaths from hiv aids um annual numbers of deaths and it is just continually shooting up through the 90s until it eventually peaks um later in the 90s and early 2000s and begins to decline yeah well, and that's because we actually had a medical regimen after that that worked. I mean, and those were the Bush years, and he put a massive amount of money into um, uh, into the research and, and into the pharmaceuticals to make something happen um, <clears throat> more than had been happening. And then, like I said, a lot of the the drop in in um, in loss of life has everything to do with sharing what the United States developed in his administration with the rest of the world for nothing. I mean, just handing it over in Africa, he just turned all of that over and provided massive amounts of the medications that were coming out of the pharmaceuticals here in the United States. And he was paying for it. He didn't charge them. It was a free thing to stop the spread of AIDS. And um, it worked. He saved millions of lives. Yeah, there was some like really major, and there, there's a major turning point at the Saturn-Pluto opposition that I want to get to. Um, I did want to mention, you had mentioned ACT UP a few times. 
Um, and you do have a chart for that that you gave me. It was founded on March 12th, 1987 at around 7.30 p.m. Yeah, well, the meeting started at 7.30 p.m., yeah. And, and this chart is set for um, Larry Kramer giving like a talk, right? Right. Larry, well, yes, Larry Kramer was an active member of ACT UP. He was part of the initial um, impetus for it. <clears throat> I think it was Larry Kramer who actually called for it to, to be organized. Yeah, that's and my I understanding believe, of what this is. I think it was in Larry Kramer's apartment in New York. Right. So, and I'll have you describe it, but one of the things I think that's really important about this chart is we've now shifted to Saturn and Sagittarius, but we're very close to the Saturn-Uranus conjunction in Sagittarius at this point, where Saturn's at 20 degrees of Sag and Uranus is at 26 Sag. And I think that's one of the signatures for ACT UP. Um, was it, it yes. so so could you describe what act up was um act up was an organization to um, force the country and particularly the politicians both locally and nationally um in dc <clears throat> uh force them to confront the realities of um, the loss of life death in the in the gay community uh and, and that it was spreading and there was still very little being done yes in 85, Reagan said, there's AIDS, it's the priority, 190 million. It didn't do enough. It, it, it was not nearly enough. Um, ACT UP was demanding full mobilization of governmental resources um, <clears throat> to stop the spread of AIDS. Research, medication, hopefully vaccination, whatever it was going to take. Um, and uh, they were gonna do it with direct confrontation. And so they were, it wasn't just demonstrations. Um, they, would, they would stop traffic. They would get in politicians' faces. They would plaster the silence equal death um, over, all over everything. Um, it, it was uh, an act of civil, civil rebellion, um, what ACT UP was doing, but they were very effective. It was stunning how, how effective they really were in, in getting the attention of the politicians in Congress particularly. Yeah, it seems like they organized a lot of protests and it was very um, like aggressive and kind of like in your face, but it ended up being very effective actually in actually getting um, tangible change in different ways. Like one of the things that they protested was that one of the um, main early um, medicines for AIDS had this like astounding $10,000 a year price tag for it or something. Yes. And it was, I think at the time, it was the most expensive medicine that had ever been on the market. And um, most so people, 90, 99% of any gay man who was HIV could not afford that medicine. It was impossible. And that was AZT, right? Hmm? That was AZT? AZT? Is that what it AZ, was? Yeah, AZT. Yes. So it was originally like $10,000 and one of the things that ACT UP protested was that, and they were able to get the company or to force the company to do a price reduction from like 10,000 to 7,000, I think is what I read. Yeah, that was significant. It was still, um, I mean, if you didn't have insurance, you weren't gonna be able to afford it. Insurance companies were loath to pay for it. Um, it, took, it took a tremendous amount of activism and pushing and even, you know, and finding, Finally, certain Congress people 
actually got behind it and began pushing also for a reduction in cost and at least to get insurance companies to cover it. Okay. So yeah, so that ended up being really effective. They organized a lot of um, protests and different types of sit-ins and other things like that from when they were founded in 87. It seemed like all the way through like 91 or so in some of the major events like lists that I was looking at, which is really interesting because it coincided with the entire period of Saturn being with conjoining Uranus in Sagittarius, but also both planets moved into Capricorns. The yeah. conjunction continued into the late 80s and early 90s. Yes. And um, when they were in Capricorn, I think is when ACTUP had its most success. Um, the, uh, the work they had been doing actually turned out lay the groundwork um, for what happened then in the early 90s with um, um, there was less stigma attached. I mean, it was easier to come out. It was um, um, very important that one of the things that ACT UP did was push the coming out process. They wanted a couple of times, they, a few of the ACT UP people, um, I think overstepped and they would out certain people that they wanted to be out and they wouldn't do that voluntarily. So they sort of did it for them. That's an unfortunate thing, but um, um, it, it did kind of, I think, scare a lot of prominent people who were gay and not out that they would be outed. So some, many of them started coming out. And, uh, um, and, it, and like I said, then we had a national coming out day and then people we're just coming out left and right. And it was very important that, that that was part of the process. Okay, so that was part of the diet. And that's part of what you were talking about earlier that you said eventually motivated you and, and maybe some other astrologers in the community too. Yeah, yeah. And particularly in Seattle, it was Bruce Hammerslaw and I who talked about that and the idea of, um, because Bruce had not come out yet within the astrological community, even though I had been trying to do that since 83, and telling people that I was gay, uh, it didn't seem to go anywhere. I mean, it's like people ignored it kind of, they just, oh, okay, whatever. Um, and it, it really wasn't until Bruce then said something in the late eighties at the Norwalk that, that people in Seattle began to perk up their ears and say, oh, we have gay people in the community and some of them are HIV positive, some have AIDS. Um, that that was an extremely important step, I think, and and that had everything to do with ACT UP, and it had everything to do with you know the was a Saturn Uranus and Capricorn. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it it's interesting because you know just over the past few years we had the Saturn Uranus square um, as Saturn has been transiting through what Aquarius and squaring Uranus and Taurus. And we saw a lot of protests um, over the course of the past few years about different things. And there was kind of a similar energy of, you know, standing up to establishments or, or like the government, especially and trying to like shake up change and make change happen sometimes against what was seen as like a oppressive or like intractable sort of authority figures. Yeah. And I think that's, common with 
I mean, that's very common with Saturn and Uranus. Of course, we have to understand too that Saturn and Uranus um, had everything to do with the collapse symbolically. I mean, if you want just the way you were describing it, the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Um, so that there is that Uranus Saturn thing where the Uranus comes in and just brings down Demol the walls. So demolishes everything. Awesome. Right. Doesn't it, 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 but not in a bad way. I don't think that Uranus demolishes the um, the good things about Saturn. Mm. No, I, I think what it does is it tears down what isn't appropriate in the way that Saturn is, is applied socially. If it's too oppressive, if it's, um, um, yeah, if it's too oppressive, it's going to, it's going to, Uranus is going to break through that somehow. And, and it usually takes demonstrations and uh, uh, protest against those sort of tyrannical Saturnian policies. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so by 1991 and 1992, yeah. Saturn goes into, is in Aquarius, and it's squaring Pluto in mid-Scorpio at this point. Um, and like I said earlier, it's like we continue to see, in some instances, like major celebrities um, talking about, you know, uh, the, being HIV positive, like um, Magic Do Johnston, for example, mm -hmm. the basketball star com comes out with that on November 7th, 1991. Um, and I think that's an important or, or one of many notable, you know, instances of that. But also just that in 1991 and 1992, I think what's important is that we hit the uh, the waxing square or the opening square of the Saturn-Pluto um, synodic cycle. And at this point in the chronologies, um, AIDS becomes the number one cause of death for U.S. men between the ages of 25 to 44. So um, that's pretty major at this time, or that's a really important turning point. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's a crisis in action. I mean, for let's say for what happened at, at the conjunction, when we look at what happened at the conjunction and the disease um, sort of takes hold and we become aware of that disease uh, and what it is and how it develops. And now at the square, um, you see um, an increasing number of deaths, like you were saying. So you're in a inner crisis mode when it hits that square. But also in terms of, let's say, public reaction, uh, what happened at the 45 degree, what happened at the 60 degree uh, relation, angle or aspect between Saturn and Pluto, um, now you get to the square and you realize there was progress made in, in getting the public to get behind um, ending the, uh, the epidemic. And not just that, but business and pharmaceuticals and government. And by the early 90s at the square, you, of course, you had Clinton who was elected. And, um, and he's even pushing, he's even pushing, you know, opening up the military to gay men. And of course, it doesn't work out that way. They get, we end up with this horrendous compromise called don't ask, don't tell. But nonetheless, gay men were now openly in the military. Um, and so there were, there's a lot of stuff that's happening with the Saturn Pluto thing in relation to 
um, the disease, but the disease in turn is having, uh, and what we're doing with the disease and how we're reacting to it socially is having an impact on how the country actually views gay people and um, where, the, where their place is uh, in society and how they're, uh, and the coming out process is, is really all about, we are here, we're not going away and we wanna be part of the fabric of American society. And so at, at the square, this political push behind AIDS and really gets some momentum going. And the conservatives lost out on that one. They, they pushed hard against it, but uh, in the end, um, those whose intentions were at the conjunction to do something about the disease and to do something about the conditions of gay men, particularly in American society, that really took on uh, at, the, at the first quarter square, uh, a crisis in action where they, where the gay community and the human rights campaign, they were able to make some really positive advancements in, in politically in the country. Yeah, I noticed in like 1983, as soon as Clinton gets in office in 92, that he establishes the White House Office of National AIDS Policy. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like with that shift, um, that there's a little bit more um, political effort and like movement from that point forward. And I know, for example, there was one um, doctor, for example, who um, in 1992, on September 14th, 1992, he was doing like a, like a biopsy or an autopsy on a patient who had died of AIDS and he accidentally um, cut himself um, and ended up getting AIDS as a result of that. Um, but then he sort of set about looking at a lot of the scientific research that was available and started combining different drugs um, which ended up being like an early version of some of the later like AIDS cocktails right. that would later be successful um, in the future, later in the 90s. So it seems like there were things that were happening at that point where some of the understanding of how to start putting together different um, antiviral drugs or other um, drugs that would later become what would be successful, that that started to germinate. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the first quarter square, you can expect that kind of thing. Um, it is a crisis in action. And sometimes depending on what happened at the semi-square and at the sextile and at the quintile, um, and even at the septile, uh, is gonna determine what happens at the first quarter square. And because of the, um, the positive developments in relation to the gay community and AIDS, in that first quarter, throughout the first quarter of the Saturn-Pluto cycle. At the square, that crisis in action actually became uh, a mobilization of energy and political force and, um, and from, the, from, from the government itself, not just in the grassroots. So that was a, a really positive thing that, you know, when we move forward, look at the trine, and then look at the 135-degree aspect, and then look at the opposition, the Santa Cruz opposition, and, and you'll see where those things that actually came into being and those things that got political traction at the first quarter square come to fruition at the opposition. Yeah, I was really struck by um, 
1995 and 1996, uh, we have Saturn in Pisces and it's trining Pluto. Um, and Pluto also eventually ingresses into Sagittarius so that it sort of continues the sign base square with Saturn. Mm-hmm. And what we what we see at this time is um, the first protease inhibitor drugs are approved by the FDA um, in December of 19, 1995 through 96. And then after this, from like 1996 forward, the number of new AIDS case diagnoses in the U.S. declines for the first time since the beginning of the epidemic um, in 1996. And then eventually, mm. not long after that, AIDS is no longer the leading cause of death for all Americans um, age 25 to 44, although it still um, yeah. remains a le- leading cause of death for African Americans in this age group. Yeah. So yeah, we see a turning point. Um, then eventually, I think we get to the opposition around 2000, 2001, where um, Pluto is in Sagittarius and Saturn goes into Gemini. Right. And that's when we start seeing um, the distribution of... Um, well, that's where we start seeing government taking full-scale responsibility, okay? Um, yeah, it started at the first quarter square, and and even in terms of uh, pharmaceuticals participating in the efforts to get this medication out there, um, at the opposition starting in, in the early 2000s, you start seeing, um, uh, like I said, President Bush actually spending tremendous amounts of billions of dollars uh, in AIDS research and funding and both in terms of ph- pharmaceuticals and and then using some of that money as well to ship these products uh, uh, to other parts of the world for free. Yeah, it seems like, like from 2000 forward that the international efforts to combat AIDS really ramp up um, yeah. when the Saturn-Pluto opposition gets going and more formalized agreements to start to address disparities between the resources for AIDS in different countries and regions of the world really becomes the focus. Yeah. Um, let's see, I've got on my timeline, July 2002, Joint United Nations Program on AIDS reports that HIV AIDS is now by far the leading cause of death in sub-Saharan Africa and the fourth biggest global killer. Um, the average life expectancy in sub-Saharan Africa falls from 62 years to 47 as a result of AIDS. And this is all during the, the Saturn-Pluto opposition from uh, Gemini to, to uh, Sagittarius. Yeah. So that's a really um, important and striking turning point, even if um, in the U.S. some of it's starting to decline worldwide, we're still... Um, well, sure, we're, it's getting we're, worse. We're still in this cycle of in, in increasing loss loss of life all through the first you know the waning cycle from conjunction to opposition. You mm-hmm. are going to get in increased loss of life. That's I think that's a given in the Saturn Pluto cycle. Um, it's after the opposition and when it comes down in the waning side that you start seeing um, it, if all the measures that have been put into place and the political traction is there and, and, and they're successful at the opposition. Then after the opposition, as it goes into its waning phase, then you're, you're going to see uh, the numbers drop 
in terms of death, and you're going to see more cooperation as it goes through the disseminating phase, where there's um, the cooperation between countries is going to spread out, and it's going to do they're going to do more to combat this, and there's more resources going to be put into it. Um, that's just the nature of the cycle as you go through the disseminating phase after the after the 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 full phase. Yeah, for sure. And um, in 2003, when the Saturn Pluto opposition is on its way out on the tail end of that, we get um, oral arguments are being made in March 26, 2003 in the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court would eventually, a few months later in June of 2003, strike down the quote unquote, like homosexual conduct law, which decriminalizes same sex conduct. Right. Um, with their that June, that's at the end of June, June 24th or June 26th. I can't remember the date, but 26th, June 26th. Yeah. And the decision comes down at just a minute or two after 10 a.m. Oh, you have a chart for that? Yeah, I do. Okay. It's, so... it's about 10.02. I think it's about 10.02 in that morning uh, on, on, the 6th, uh, on the 26th. In like Washington? Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. Okay, there it is. That's kind of so that's a that's an exact time, 10 yeah. 10 02 a.m. Yeah, it is. Huh. That's really interesting. Okay, so we've got 26 Leo rising and Jupiter's at 17 Leo. Um that's really striking because it's just remember reminding me of the the 2015 court decision where Jupiter, Venus and Jupiter were meeting up around those degrees in Leo, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, it, and the decision then came down within a minute or two after 10 a.m. in 2015. Okay. So, and this was important because basically up until this point, some of those state laws still uh, basically banned same-sex relationships. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah a lot of states, I mean, and, Probably a good half of the country states still criminalized same-sex behavior. Um, Illinois was the first to decriminalize in 1961. Um, other states, most states that did decriminalize did so in the 1970s, between 73 and 75 mostly. Okay. Um, the rest right. of them, the rest of them still insisted that they you know, his same-sex behavior was illegal in those days, and and not just illegal, but they, I mean, it was criminal. Um, and a lot of those states still had the same uh, laws on the books that were created, you know, in the by 1923, ten years in prison, and you know, if you were considered incorrigible, um, then you were going to be um, sterilized. Wow. So um, it was great that that Lawrence v. Texas struck down those laws, saying those are unconstitutional. Yeah, that's a huge turning point. Um, so jumping forward a little bit, by late two thousand nine, um, two thousand eight and two thousand nine, we get Saturn goes into Libra and it's squaring Pluto, which is in early Capricorn. So we get the waning square. And the last major phase of the the hard aspects of the Saturn Pluto cycle, um, and over the next few years, while Saturn is 
transiting through Libra and squaring Pluto and Capricorn, we get some major developments. Um, in October October 30th of 2009, the Obama administration announces that is that they will officially lift the HIV travel and immigration ban in January of 2010, um, which is really huge because basically going back to the early part of the, the epidemic, they um, outlawed travel basically of people who were HIV positive to travel into the US or to immigrate here. Yeah. And I think um, I, I consider the last quarter phase sort of a, a crisis in awareness, perhaps crisis in consciousness, where it, it begins a time where you're three quarters of the way through the cycle, but you now have perspective on what happened, what everything that went right and everything that went wrong um, through the cycle from the previous conjunction. And it's a time to adjust and make corrections and um, also to make sure that you keep um, you keep the effort going. A lot of times, the, it, because it is a crisis in awareness and a crisis consciousness, there's often, uh, I've seen historically with certain planetary pairs, outer planetary pairs like this, that they lose momentum at the last quarter square. And then that opens the door for opposition to come in and try to establish a foothold in the process so that when the next conjunction comes along, that opposition takes control. In this case, that's not what happened. Uh, we were able to, I think, correctly see what went right, what went wrong uh, through the cycle. And energy was mobilized. We kept things going, both in terms of, of um, medical research and in, in terms of cooperation globally, in, in terms of uh, getting things right politically inside the United States as well. And, and not just here, but in Europe, they did the same thing. Um, so we started seeing some really positive developments um, in, yeah. in, in the AIDS thing. Yeah, this is a really crucial and largely positive turning point, this waning square around 2010 and 2011. Some of the stuff in my chronology is just um, Obama signs the, the Affordable Care Act, March 23rd, 2010. And this actually, one of the side effects that some people don't know about the Affordable Care Act is that it expanded access to care and prevention for all Americans. But in particular, it offered special protections to those living with chronic illnesses like HIV that made it difficult for them to access or afford healthcare prior to that time. So like pre-existing conditions and things like that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I knew men who were HIV positive and could not get insurance prior right. to Obamacare. Uh, luckily those men did not become sick with AIDS, the ones I knew, but um, if they had, it would have been a nightmare for them. You know, I mean, the cost of the medicines and the cost of hospitalization that can happen, even if you go in and then come out and you, you know, you're okay for a while. Um, it, 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 the medical expenses are just outrageous. So for them to be covered under the Obamacare Act was a major step forward for, and, and it also gave um, people with HIV hope that, you know, they, they're going to get through this. Yeah, yeah. it's great. That makes sense. Um, so here's the chart for that March 23rd, 2010. We see Saturn is at one degree of Libra, squaring Pluto at five Capricorn. It's opposite the sun at two 
um, Aries, and at some point that day, the moon swooped in and completed a grand cross at somewhere in early Cancer, like four Cancer. So later that year, there was other things. Um, in July, the Obama administration released the first comprehensive national HIV slash AIDS strategy for the United States on July 13th, 2010. Um, November of 2010, a huge development was the National Institutes of Health announced the results of a study showing that a daily dose of HIV drugs reduced the risk of HIV infection among HIV negative men who had sex with other men by 44%, supporting the concept of pre-exposure prophylaxis in a targeted population. So basically what ended up happening is that PrEP was developed at the Saturn-Pluto square as well. Yes. Um, and eventually by July of 2012, when Saturn is still in Libra squaring Pluto, PrEP is approved by the FDA. So that's that's huge. And it just shows that's like the final thing for me where I was like, okay, yes, this is, <clears throat> we can see the foundation of this epidemic, you know, at the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the early 80s. And then we see the, the important turning points um, at the especially the hard aspects during the course of it. Yes. And that was one of the final really major ones was developing the some of the things that could help people if they felt like they had been exposed to um, not develop HIV, even if they had been exposed. Right. And and not just that, I mean, yes, PrEP is there, but the, that's one part of the overall um, pharmaceutical regimen that's available. And it's... Uh, quite astonishing to me that you can watch TV and you will see commercials for these medicines for HIV positive people. Uh, and uh, with the message that you may be HIV, but you, we promise you, you will never get AIDS. You have a medical regimen that makes this disease manageable, you know, for who knows yeah. how long. You know, that is just mind-blowing to me that we can watch these commercials on tv that actually advertise this reality uh, i mean perhaps young people don't they don't maybe have the historical perspective and so it's just like oh well that's cool yeah right coming from where i'm coming from from 1981 until now this is just phenomenal yeah yeah from going from of it literally being a death sentence in the early to mid 1980s or even early 90s yeah. of people being given months to live or, or a few years to live or what have you to mm -hmm. um, living for decades and, and living out a full healthy life um, with it becoming something that's manageable. Yeah, and that includes having an active sex life. I mean, you don't have to be afraid of that anymore. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, uh, and that shows you in the cycle, the Saturn-Pluto cycle from beginning to the next one, that, okay, now we're off and we're doing something else again with the, the last Saturn-Pluto conjunction. AIDS is still a reality out there, but like I said, it's, it's no longer a crisis. It is a manageable disease. And that is everything that we wanted from the beginning. Just let's make it manageable in some way, either a vaccine or somehow make it so that it doesn't destroy our lives um and that's been done um and yeah i agree with you you can watch 
you can watch these aspects, these key turning points. And you're right, especially at the at the first quarter square opposition, last quarter square, um, and how these developments actually happened. And that one at each turn, what happened was absolutely dependent on what happened at the previous um, aspect. So this is my message with the planetary pairs, no matter what it is that you do have an eight phase cycle just like you do with any with the sun moon it's the same concept it's the same thing and you do have an interpretive framework for that okay for the new phase and the crescent phase and the first quarter phase etc all the way around to the last phase the balsamic phase and what those phases mean and how to interpret the aspects within those phases uh, i think a lot of times we get stuck with the idea that an aspect, you know, a trine is a trine is a trine. It doesn't matter, you know, what, where the two planets are in relation to each other is they're trined. That's not the case if we want to really look at that from a mundane point of view, going from uh, in, a, in a developmental cycle from conjunction to opposition back to conjunction, then the waning phase aspects have a cake on a very different meaning than the waxing phase aspects. So the first quarter trine as waxing trine, and then the uh, last quarter trine as a, uh, a waning, they have very different meanings and very different social and political realities that follow. Yeah, that's huge. That the, it really depends on where you're at in the cycle, and is it something that's still building up in the same way that the moon when it's in the waxing part of its phase is still increasing in light and getting brighter and brighter heading towards the full moon at the opposition or are on are you on the waning side of the phase of the relationship where in the lunar cycle the moon is um has passed the full moon point and is now getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until it eventually completes the cycle at the exactly. new moon at the next new moon yeah yeah, um, the, I think um, the difference is with when you're using something. Yeah, you're, you, we're using that model uh, with, say, Saturn Pluto or Uranus Pluto, whatever. But when we get to that balsamic phase, the last 45 degree before the conjunction again, that is the most historically and in my work, it's very clear to me that any two of the outer planets in when they reach that balsamic phase, that is really the crisis time. That's the end of the cycle. Everything starts breaking down. Um, and reality is up for grabs in regards to the two planets involved. And there's a tremendous struggle for dominance to determine what's, what new uh, intentions will be set at the, at the conjunction. So politically, those are very volatile times when the two outer planets are in a 45 degree angle, but in the balsamic phase in the waning part of the cycle. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let me see if I can show your graphic again from your blog where you have that full cycle with all of the major mm -hmm. and, mi and minor aspects. Well, just, yeah, just the 45, 60 trines, you know, and 135 and trines. I didn't okay. include um, the the septile or the quintile right, in, yeah. in aspects in it, in it, but I do pay very close attention to them. 
um, they are part of my interpretive framework with that. So, yeah. Um, all right. And then um, here's just some graphs from Wikipedia that give some perspective on this um, on their page for HIV AIDS. And then it has a um, diagram labeled trends in new cases and deaths per year from HIV AIDS. And you just see the numbers going up and up and up in the 90s. And then eventually in the early 2000s, around the time of the opposition between Saturn and Pluto, it finally starts to decline um, worldwide until where it's at today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty striking. Um, it shows also that, you know, because these are this cycle that we've talked about with the the new moon, the new moon or the conjunction between those two outer planets, and then the the waxing square and the opposition, the waning square. You know, we're used to doing that because you can usually apply that to outer planet cycles in a person's birth chart. Like the Saturn cycle, for example, is commonly used, and you can apply those principles to a person's life in those thirty-year increments of the Saturn cycle. Um, but it just shows that some of these principles are just as applicable not just in natal astrology, but also right. to mundane astrology, you're just dealing with a much broader timeframes and much broader scales sometimes when you're working at that level. Right. And, and you're, you're working with historical and sociopolitical processes, right? Um, in that sense, the interpretation of, of the different phases and the aspects of the phases take on a different hue. They're a little different. Sure. Um, then when you're watching the, the human development of an individual person, but the principle, like you said, is the same. Um, uh, and you can do that with any two planets and, in you know, watching particularly, I, I would say, particularly your sun, moon, your progressive lunation cycle, for example, um, in your secondary progressions, I think that's critical to, to see, um, the, the new phase, the, you know, the progressive the new moon, uh, progress first quarter square and opposition and so forth. Um, they tell you a lot about a, a, a person's um, journey during that 28, 30 year period. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, here's some other graphs I want to show just bef before we wrap up. So this is Archetypal Explorer again, just showing the original conjunction in the early eighties between Saturn and Pluto, the first square in the early to mid 90s, the opposition in the early 2000s, and then the waning square yeah. in the from 2010 and 2011, around that time frame. Right. And then finally, the, the next conjunction in the end of that cycle in 2020. Right. Um, so that's cool. And then also another graph for worldwide deaths, um, showing the peak in the early 2000s, and then the decline. Um, that's the other thing that's, I think, interesting, and they got me fascinated with this in 2020 when we were dealing with COVID, is that um, it's kind of rare with astrology sometimes when you're dealing with life events or you're dealing with people's psychology, sometimes you don't have a lot of like objective data to work with except for like, you know, a, a marriage date or somebody like gets a job or something like that. But with this, studying um, pandemics it's kind of interesting as an astrologer, as a mundane astrologer, because you have some objective data to work with to sort of compare some of the, not just the charts, but the different planetary cycles over long spans yeah. of time. And I think there's something that's that's fascinating from that, just as with my astrologer cap on, aside from the personal, obviously, and the um, 
the human side of that story, there's just, um, it's, it's much different than what we're, how we're used to applying astrology in some ways. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I love that. I, I watch the outer planetary cycles and, and, and I compare them to different times in history. Um, I mean, given what's happening now, let's take Uranus Pluto, for example. I mean, we just, not too long ago, a few years ago, I had the Uranus Pluto first quarter square after their conjunction in 1965-66. And we know from that conjunction that we had a great liberalization in the world, not just in the United States, I mean, in Europe as well. There was this big flowering of liberal political and social philosophy. Um, and out of that, of course, you get civil rights and voting rights and um, women's rights and gay rights. And all of this comes in the wake of that Uranus-Pluto conjunction, 65, 66. Now, when we hit that first quarter square, we got a dose of reality in a big way with a conservative backlash to that liberalization and their efforts to, to undo that, okay? And, <clears throat> um, and now as we approach the trying, Okay, and we're starting to see some success that they're having in undoing some of the liberal principles and policies of the mid 1960s and 70s. Um, but there's a parallel to that. All we have to do is look at the last time uh, Uranus and Pluto were in the same um, in the same relationship, in the first quarter square, 1876. Um, uh, from there to the opposition in 1901. Uh, we saw exactly the same thing, a packed court with racists and conservatives who overturned in 1883 every single civil rights law that was passed after the Civil War. And then by 1896, they had completely, with the Plessy decision, they completely segregated the country, not just racially, but ethnically. So, um, and then by 1901 at the opposition, it was a done deal. And not only was it a completely segregated society racially and ethnically, but um, the federal government actually then created policies around things like redlining and real estate practices and that sort of thing. Um, so we're in a parallel situation right now. The liberals didn't fight hard enough back then to stop that. Hopefully we'll be able to stand up to this and, um, and this challenge to the great liberalization of the Uranus-Pluto conjunction of 65-66 as we go through this first quarter square between the two planets now. We're in that parallel period in the late 19th century uh, where Uranus and Pluto are in the same relationship. Sure, so this is what you this is what you do and this is a large part of your specialization is studying these types of outer planet cycles and always looking at it relative to you know, what started History. under yeah. a conjunction and then you know, what context context does that set then for the next aspects? Exactly. Um, and then I compare that, I compare what I'm looking at to historical cycles uh, to make sure that I'm on the right track. Because um, if nothing else, astrology is predictable <laughs> when it comes right. to these patterns. You see these patterns repeat and you look at the social political processes that are going on and you realize well, it's really no different. I mean, we're just in a different, we're in, we're in a different time in history. And so yeah, you have different technologies and different um, political systems, but some of the same things are happening in regards to the same principles. And, 
Um, and particularly with Uranus Pluto, it has everything to do with civil rights. It has everything to do with human rights. It has everything to do with um, um, a reaction to that in the form of, of bigotry and discrimination and, and how that plays out in, in a society um, and who's going to win and who's going to come out on top and who's going to control the social, political, and cultural narrative. Um, that is what Uranus Blue is all about. So, um, I mean, that's just an example of how I look at these cycles and, and I call it astro history, um, uh, more than just astrology or more than just mundane astrology, because everything about it has, is rooted in history. It's uh, always looking back to the two or three previous cycles to figure out what this next one that's coming is going to do. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it's pretty easy to do that. I mean, you just look at the sign that they fall in and you, maybe even the decan. I do look at the decanence as well um, to get um, some underlying information. Uh, but it's, uh, to me, it's really important uh, work to do. Um, and um, yeah, a lot of my writing about this stuff is in my blog, I have a number of articles related to um, the, the Jupiter-Saturn cycle, the uh, the last um, Jupiter-Neptune cycle, um, the Uranus-Pluto cycle. I have a, a number of articles related to these things. Okay, and your website and based is on the research that um, just GaryLorenson.com. Gary yeah, Gary Lorenz, all one word, GaryLorenson.com. Brilliant. There it is. There's your blog. Um, yeah. And to your point, I mean, I think one thing though, that makes a difference is actually living through and experiencing events as they're happening and observing the planets and what they're doing at that time does something different to you that I've had to learn as a younger astrologer, as I get older, and I have that experience over and over again, you internalize it in a much different way, I think, yeah, than yeah. somebody that just goes back and researches it in books or events that they didn't experience at the time where for example you know living through the early 1980s and experience having that firsthand experience of the AIDS epidemic when 2020 you know was coming along let's say in 2019 and people were wondering what that Saturn Pluto conjunction was going to be like yeah. you had a pretty good idea and a pretty good experience from before to draw on of what that might be like or what the experience might be right and that's right. I mean, you have personal experience with it. As you get older, you are going to experience these cycles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you have any memory at all, you're going to have, you know, it, it, it's going to be part of your consciousness as these con conjunctions and opposition squares happen uh, as they do. Um, I feel like my job is, however, to, yeah, Sure, I pay attention to those, and yeah, I have a personal reaction to all of those, and, and I have personal memories around them. But um, having been a student of history for going on fifty years, um, uh, and you know, actually, university study and all of that, um, the history to me is paramount. When we don't understand these outer planetary cycles without looking at the historical realities of them. If we, it's just like our personal, like you were saying, you have this personal experience in, let's say in 82. And so you have this sort of um, intuition or uh, some sort of uh, indication of what the next, say Saturn-Pluto conjunction is gonna bring because you have that experience. 
if you study history and you actually go back and research that stuff, the cycles that happened in, the, in previous centuries and look at the history around them, um, that, I, I think that's my job to write about. That's, what I, that's my passion. That's what I love to write about. Um, and um, there's painfully little, I mean, I mean, sure, Tarnas does this just mind-blowing thing with his books and, and I love them. I mean, uh, they're just, they're just such top-notch, just such quality astrological thinking as well as intellectual work. Um, Cosmo, Cosmos and Psyche, I guess I should mention the title. Yeah, Cosmos and Psyche. Um, yeah. That's like a book, a book that everybody who does this kind of historical research, that's one of right. their top, if not their top book. Absolutely for me. Yeah. But also Passion of the Western Mind. He he lays the groundwork for Cosmos and Psyche in, in, in the first book, Passion of the Western Mind. Um, so, uh, but that's pure history. And yet for those of us who do think of themselves as historians, when we, when I read through uh, Passion of the Western Mind, I understood exactly what he was doing and where he was going. And I knew at the end of that book that we were going to come up, he was going to come up with something like Cosmos and Psyche, where he was going to actually show the astrological implications of what he was writing about. Um, and he did that. But, it, and then for me, it's, I'm not that kind of a writer. I, I, I write in smaller chunks. Um, my Mercury, Saturn, Conjunction, Virgo, it's just, Let's be precise here. Let's just get down to the nitty gritty and make it as short as possible, even though I get very verbose sometimes. And, um, and even my writing, like that article is 10,000 words long, but still I could expand on that and turn that into you know, a 300 page book easily. Right. So, uh, and that's what I'm saying. It's just like, I kind of hone it down to uh, writing in smaller chunks about this stuff, mainly because I think it's a lot more accessible to the reader or they don't, they don't have to go through three, 400 pages. Um, and there, I mean, it wouldn't be a problem for me, but I do know I talk to astrologers and, it, and they'll say, yeah, I didn't get through cosmos and psyche. It's just too big. You know, I've, I've met people who said that. Um, the same thing with other, you know, with Rudyard's books or with Mark and Jones, uh, and, and they especially, most people just can't deal with Mark and Jones. Um, so at some point we have to take some of these ideas that these, um, I, I would say very intellectual astrologers have and try to put them into smaller chunks and more manageable and more consumable. Um, and I hope that's what but I'm, I hope that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think people will find a lot of really valuable resources in terms of that on your blog. And I like your point that, a, a, you know, a good astrologer, especially a mundane astrologer is a student of history right. and that there's something very valuable about learning the tools of the historian in order to combine that with astrology. Because once you do, you learn a lot about astrology, as we've demonstrated in this episode, with a lot of really striking correlations. If you just go back and start studying what happened in the past, um, you learn a lot of things that are then relevant that you can project out into the future. Like if you were to project that, for example, in 2020, the way that many astrologers did and yeah. correctly predict with you know pretty striking um, accuracy, 
you know, what's what's coming up. Um, but also sometimes you can take some of these things and project them back into the future and use them for historical research. Yes. You mentioned going back and studying past conjunctions. And that's actually one of the things that kept coming up for me over and over again as I was researching this is, um, you know, researching some of the early history of AIDS because it didn't start in 1981. It's just that we became aware of it and the pandemic really got going at that point. But um, scientific researchers currently think that AIDS originally jumped from I think chimpanzees into humans sometime around the like 1910 through 1920 time. Yeah, very early on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that, that to too. me is that 1910 to 1920 time frame is like right in the middle of that, as we talked about earlier, right. is another Saturn-Pluto Saturn conjunction. Yeah. Yeah. And a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in cancer in between the like 1913 through 1916 or 17 time frame which then from an astrological standpoint, if we've kind of established already that the Saturn-Pluto cycle was relevant to the AIDS epidemic from the 1980s through the 2020s, it could be suggestive then that the astrology could be pointing us and sort of telling us where the earlier history of this may have started right, right there around the, the 1914, 1915 timeframe, mm -hmm. which also is interesting because it's just another if that's true, let's just say hypothetically for a moment, it's just another one of those implications or indications of something we've seen a few times that sometimes the astrology is telling you that something important is happening, but but at the time you may not fully understand or know what has happened that's so important that started at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's like important things are happening and the astrology is kind of yelling at you that something's happening, but you may not be aware of it until later in retrospect. I call that our, it's a perpetual condition of, um, of uh, uh, what do I want to say? Um, failure of imagination. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we see it, but we can't imagine that it's actually going to happen that way, you know? Mm. Um, and yet it so often does, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I can think back to November of, nine, of 2019 and thinking, well, I know it brings epidemics, but do we really think we're going to get a global pandemic out of this thing? Some people are saying, yes, I really do think that. And I, I was having a failure of imagination at that time. And it wasn't until the end of December that I really changed my mind about the um, COVID pandemic. But initially, it was like, no, I, I, I don't want to believe that that's going to happen. You know what I mean? I, I, I had that failure of imagination in, in November. <clears throat> and I think that's a, a, a common thing among astrologers. Yes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's a lesson I've had to learn as well, that you have to just call it like you see it. And there's something valuable about that. And sometimes also that sometimes the most literal manifestation of the basic keywords that you have for those planets or those combinations can oftentimes hit the closest to what the actual manifestation is. Yes. And, and while it's true that it's also, especially in natal astrology, that sometimes there's like broader psychological things that are not quite as literal, especially when dealing with mundane astrology, sometimes it's just very literal and very straightforward in terms mm -hmm. of the symbolism. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it, it it makes to me it it 
that's what made mundane astrology that much more fascinating and um a little more cut and dry it fit my mercury saturn and virgo better than dealing with people <laughs> i got to the point that i just said i can't i can't deal with people anymore i can't sit down and carry the burden of their lives you know yeah, well, it just shows there's different applications of astrology and different ways to use astrology to enhance other types of studies. And it's not all just like one thing. There's many different ways to be an astrologer. And I think this right. is something, you know, that I hope other historians at some point will find like what a useful tool astrology can be, right. not replacing other historical studies, but as like an adjunct to to enhance certain things. Except that having been through that academic training in history, um there's this this absolute taboo rejection of what they call um historicism now historicism originally is associated with religious prophecy okay but anything that um like astrology for example that says there are patterns that repeat and that the future can be predicted to some degree right um Historians reject that as unscientific. Uh, I've had that conversation with a number of professors because I would even try to write some of my papers back in, in at university in <clears throat> talking about historical patterns, not necessarily repetitive patterns, but patterns that resonate over time. And even that, the professor said, no, can't do that you're not gonna talk about stuff like that. Um, so there is this fairly rigid position that most academic historians take that they, they're just not interested in what they call historicism. Yeah, and I could, I could almost see, I could understand that, you know, um, if you didn't have astrology as a framework, because occasionally it's like in history, you see some of those patterns, but, you don't see a clear mechanism or reason for some of those repetitions to exist. So it's easier to just chalk it up to a random pattern. Right. Like, yeah. you know, pe people see like Jesus on a piece of toast or something like that. Right. But once you are aware of the astrology and you have enough training in the astrology to know what to look for, you can see some of those patterns underlying history. And some of them are just so striking that it's hard once you've seen it to you know, forget that, that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, I couldn't ignore it. And once I saw it, it was like, I can't ignore this. I mean, yeah. the history professors say don't do it, but I'm going to say I'm doing it. I can't not do it. I, I've seen it. I see what it is. Um, and I'm going to go forward with it. But that also is why I didn't then go to grad school in history. I chose to do it in language and linguistics. But um, because of that resistance on the part of the historians. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So I want to say a few things to sort of wrap this or bring this to a close. One, I meant to say that we've only like scratched the surface of this topic. I'm sure there's other pieces that we missed or overlooked yeah. or didn't state with precision because this is such a huge and such a vast topic. Um, I'm sure, you know, this is only, even though this is like a three hour discussion, it, there was still a lot more that could have been said. And I hope that other people will use this as a starting point for further research and further work on this topic. And I'm sure there's a lot more um, to be done, both in terms of AIDS, as well as in terms of 
the history of of civil rights um, with the the gay community and different things like that. Um, so I want to say that I wanted to say shout out to Lisa Scheim for helping with some research assistance for this episode. It was actually super invaluable. So I wanted to thank her for that. Um, shout out to Christopher Renstrom for that other article we mentioned um, that he wrote in the first Queer Astrologers um, publication. That was an amazing one mm -hmm. that people should check out um, for additional information on some of this. I also think people should check out your article um, in volume one of the Ascendant Journal, the official journal for the Association for Young Astrologers, which um, Jen Zart edited. And she just told me last night that it's still available for purchase on Amazon. Um, so it's just titled The Ascendant, Volume 1, edited by Jennifer Zart, Austin Kopic, and Nicholas Civitello, back when Austin was still president of the Association for Young Astrologers. Your article in that is just amazing, and it was a very important um, contribution to understanding you know, the very personal impact that AIDS had on the astrological community. And so I really appreciate that you wrote that. Um, and, and also there's probably a number of other astrologers that we don't know about because I think you list like 14 in that article. Yeah. And but, I make it clear there may be more. These are the only ones I'm aware of, right? I didn't, right. how many more are out there? I don't know. And, and that's not counting probably some of the brilliant astrologers from Germany and, and England and, you know, yeah, for sure. And just worldwide um, that died or, or were affected by that pandemic. Um, so, and then also, you know, shout out to a lot of the younger astrologers then over the past decade that have sort of like picked yes. up and, and taken the baton forward, um, especially many of the astrologers that, that organized or contributed to the Queer Astrology Conference and continue to, I know, right. um, Demetrius Bagley, for example, has been continuing some of that work with the Queer Astrology Conference, and I believe their publication of papers is still available um, for sale if people want to pick up. I think so. Yeah, a copy of that, and you wrote the foreword to that, right? Yeah. Did you attend the first conference? Um, I attended the planning for it. I couldn't go to the first conference. I ended up. Um, Jen called me. She was living in the Bay Area at the time. Jen Zart called me and said, Gary, come down. There's a, I want you to go to this meeting with me. And so Dan and I went down to, um, to visit Jen and stayed with her. And then she took me to this meeting. And it, it was Ian who was conducting the meeting. He was in, kind of in charge. And they were going over the idea of creating uh, uh, not just querying astrology, which is the overriding purpose, but then to actually create a conference, a queer astrology conference. And um, that was in, that was the year before the conference, the first conference actually took place. So that, what was that, 2012? Yeah, I think it was, uh, well, the conference itself was July 2013. So yeah, that must have right. been 2012 that you're talking right. about. It was, yeah, it was the previous fall um, that um, I went to that planning session and, and participated in, in what Ian was doing there with, and also Real Wolf was there. Um, and so I was part of that. And, um, and I introduced myself to Ian. And so we got to know each other and, and it was from that. And I think it was also, I think Real Wolf actually is the one who contacted me and said, Gary, can you write the, the forward to the, to the conference transcripts? nice awesome yeah she edited that and did a, a lot of work for that um i did check on 
Amazon and it looks like it is available on Amazon. If people want to order the conference proceedings or the papers from that, just do a search for queer astrology anthology edited by Ian Weisler and Rhea Wolf. And like I said, I previously interviewed Ian about that um, on an early episode of the Astrology Podcast, episode 84, titled The Queer Astrology Conference. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for joining me for this today. This is Thank amazing. This is I great. had a great time. You're always fun to talk to, though, Chris. I, <laughs> whatever we talk, I, I really have a great time talking to you. Thank so. you. The, the feeling is same. The feeling is mutual. And we'll have to do this again sometime for a different uh, planetary combination to go over some other planetary cycles, because there's so many other ones that just echo throughout history. Right. Many. <laughs> so, um, but, but people can read um, what I've written about the last Jupiter-Neptune cycle. And I, I call it Jupiter-Neptune and the Deconstruction of Truth. Um, that was one. There's a Saturn-Jupiter one that I wrote about. And then, like I said, and then the last one's about Uranus and Pluto. Um, well, so your website's garylorenson.com. And yeah, I see you have a bunch of articles. You've also got some audio lectures and stuff. Right. Um, those I collected over the years by different astrologers. And... Uh, I decided to put them on there. So, oh wow, okay. So the, some of these are actually some of the um, the gay astrologers that you mentioned who passed away right. during the course of exactly. So like Buzz Myers is one, Howard Sesfortis, and yeah. Um, and I actually, I know we're wrapping up, but I meant to actually mention the dates of some of those people and some of the names that you mentioned, just to give people an idea of the the scope. Um, so, for example. One of the names that you mentioned was um, Robert Cole, who mm -hmm. passed away in 1992. Um, another one you mentioned is Jesse Portis Helm, who died in 1989. Mm -hmm. And these were these were all astrologers that died of AIDS. Yeah. Um, Richard Lovell, 1993. Howard Sisportis, 1992. Tony Joseph, 1986. And you said he was the the, the director of the NCGR in 1979. No. No, no, NCGR, no, in 79. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he was or not. Um, I thought that's what you said in the R. I was kind of surprised because that's a pretty high maybe, position. He, actually, he might have been. He might have been because he was part of that rebellion in 75 that led to the NCGR being founded. So uh, he, he could have been. I don't remember anymore. That was a long time ago that I put that down there. Let's see if I can pull it up. Hold on. So... Joseph, um, here it is. You said Tony became director of the National Council for Geocosmic Research in okay. 1979. Okay, then, that's, then he did, yeah. Yeah, that's just crazy. It's a you know, it's one of the main became one of the main astrological organizations. So to have somebody who's basically the president or the lead of that organization, um, who who was a gay man that would later die of AIDS less than a decade later, is pretty striking. Yeah. Um, another name was Stephen Wimersky. Um, who you said passed away in 1993, and you noted that he was a stage manager of Michael Luton's play at UAC yes. in 1992. Yes. Um, and then your friend Bruce Hammersloth, who passed away in 1995. Yeah. Um, Buzz Myers in 2000, Mark Robertson in 1984, who you said on paper died of a heart attack, but... Um, oh, that was the... 
that was the official word, but um, we knew he was a gay man and we knew he was sick and had been. So uh, the family, I think is what, I think they, they're the ones that said he died of a heart attack, but no one really knows for sure. But I, knowing him and he was one of my teachers and talking to him, I had the feeling um, in the early eighties before he died that he, he looked like he had HIV. He had that appearance and then he just kind of stopped. He disappeared for a while until they found him dead in his apartment. Yeah. And I know there was other people like, or celebrities or instances like with um, Liberace, I was reading about how his publicist said he died of a heart attack, but then after the autopsy, they said he died of AIDS related complications. Right. Um, and then and that's finally, what I think about Mark Robertson. That's Got it. And then finally, Richard Eideman, who we mentioned, you mentioned, died in 1987. Um, and it's like there was, you know, there's other astrologers who were, um, who also passed away during that time that were um, gay, but may not have died of AIDS, like right. Jim, Jim Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, we just um, don't know. Yeah, Because he um, died of cancer in 1995, but he was only 53. And he was like one of the leading astrologers who developed um astrocartography and locational astrology but that's another that's a really good instance of another one of those people that was pretty high up in the field who passed away much before their time mm -hmm. um yeah so thanks for preserving some of those names and like passing on some of that history um and helping to connect this generation with that one i think that's helped to to reconnect things in a really good and productive way and I, I have to say, thanks to the late um, um, uh, Miss Cunningham, who did that AIDS project, um, um, virtual uh, quilt, a lot of that information, I mean, a lot of those names uh, I got from her quilt, okay, from her virtual quilt. So. Okay. Donna Cunningham was one of the first uh, astrologers to to actually recognize that these gay men were out there and that they were getting sick and they were dying, um, and and she made that public. And so, shout out to the late Donna Cunningham. Yeah, for sure. And, and then you also mentioned um, thanks to Aaron Sullivan and Alan Oaken, um, who I talked to, help you. Yeah, right. I, I, I interviewed them. I asked them questions about um, gay astrologers they knew. Uh, um, yeah, but otherwise I think, and then there's other astrologers that are never came out or that we may never know just because it's more of a private thing for, for different right. astrologers for different right. reasons. Yeah, I'm sure there are other astrologers out there who died of AIDS, but we don't know that that's what happened. You know, we just we just don't know. Yeah, or other astrologers that were gay that didn't come out, but that lived through the pan right. the pandemic and mm -hmm. and had you know similar experiences. Um, yeah, all right. Um, I think that's it for this episode. Then thanks a lot for for joining me for this. Okay, thanks. I'll talk all again. Right. Bye. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, 
Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com.